and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, May 8th, 2018. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us, which is so important today in the new media, the alternative media, the mainstream media. Everybody's coming at you. Headlines everywhere. Who do you trust? Who do you listen to? It's 24 hours in a day. Every one of us has got 24 hours in a day. And, you know, it, it, you only have so many hours, so much time to devote to programming. So we hope that we bring you in our five hours, collective five hours of programming, we hope that we bring you the news that matters most to you and our opinion of the news as well, our take on things. It's <clears throat> going through uh, mail, uh, office mail and such today. And I'm going to just give a special thank you to, to some people. Uh, Todd T. Thank you. RP. RP. Thank you. That's an abbreviation of a company. Thank you. NB. Thank you. Darlene O. Deborah C. Melissa. Melissa Smith. I'll just ton of Melissa Smiths out there, I'm sure. But you know who I'm talking about. Kathleen M. and Christine, thank you. Um, in fact, I wrote you a couple of notes, or I wrote uh, I wrote you a note. You'll be getting them. I just want to say thank you to those people in particular, but to everybody, but to everyone. John from Georgia, my goodness, from Atlanta, uh, who we had, we had the pleasure to meet in Occupy 2018. You know, I was thinking earlier today, and then Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. I was thinking earlier today in reading some of the comments on our YouTube channel. We've got to stick together, all of us, as Christians, as political conservatives, as social conservatives, whatever label that we have, we've got to stick together, and we've got to really fight the good fight with prayer behind us. I noticed a a comment about uh, you can't change prophecy. And I realize that prophecy shouldn't be, you can't change prophecy. I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. Neither is Joe. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a man of sin. You know, it's, we all, we're all sinners. But with respect to that, we're not trying to change prophecy. I, I believe that God is a God, is a loving and merciful God. And I believe that perhaps through prayer that we, we might be able to, to, to to hold off a little bit or maybe change the timeline. Maybe not even that. I, I, I don't know. But it's one thing, and there, there was a comment about Coach Dave uh, yesterday. Um, he's not discounting the power of prayer at all. We, we pray all the time, as we should. But praying alone, in my view, is not the answer. Uh, but if you're called to do that, that's fine. 
I, I believe we've been called to, uh, to, to fight the fight, to expose the, the wiles of darkness, and, and pray at the same time. Uh, I, there's not too many things I can multitask at doing, but boy, I can, I can sure pray when I'm doing stuff, okay? Um, so, it's, I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. So those were some of the comments I saw, and I wanted to make response or I wanted to respond to them, and thank thank the very special people that that I mentioned earlier. You may not, well, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. If you if you're listening and you heard your name, I, I know that you know um, that, that I'm thanking you directly. But I'm, I'm thanking everyone who tunes in and spreads the word about our broadcast. And I want to also thank each one of our guests. You know, Charles Ortel, my goodness, uh, giving 90 minutes yesterday. His research findings are absolutely astounding. What do you think about those folks? Greg Hunter coming on, which with all of the news, the, the, I think the most important news of the day today, but it's going to affect us in the long term. Joe, I think, is the Iran uh, situation. I believe, after looking at this in depth, and then you pop in here and you tell me, but I believe that, that Obama via Valerie Jarrett and Valerie Jarrett together, I really believe that they attempted to pull something over on not just the American people, but the entire Western world. And the last thing I want to say about this, going back to what Greg Hunter said, Greg Hunter's observations, findings, and analysis of the lack of Iran deal you know, it's it's amazing that we sit here and we say, well, the Iran deal is off. There was never one to begin with. And it's documented by way of State Department authenticated documentation. There was never one to begin with. So I guess I, I guess looking at this, this this goes to the reason why we looked at Obama, his meteoric rise out of obscurity, junior senator in Illinois, tapped for the Luger delegation, megawatts or megatons to megawatts, the Russian scaling back of nuclear weapons, thrust into geopolitics out of nowhere, lacking the bona, bona fides, lacking the, the background, and him going into office, we don't know who he is. We still don't know who he is. That's important, especially when you're negotiating or perhaps attempting to portray this Iranian deal that really apparently doesn't exist. Certainly not anymore, because Donald Trump said, no, we're not going to do this. And then having John Kerry come in, which was part of the Obama regime after Hillary and attempt these backroom dealings with Iran against, at least in my view, against the best interest of not just the United States, but all of the Western countries. Now, not their governments, perhaps, but you and I. So if you're listening to this in France or Germany or wherever you might be listening to this, you got hoodwinked too by your own leaders. And at the, at the epicenter of this was Obama. So that's kind of my opening statement my opening monologue, if you will, and I just wanted to mention that. And because it is so critically important, the findings, the statements, 
of Greg Hunter at the bottom of this hour. We're gonna we're gonna have Greg Hunter. Or you're gonna hear him again from last night because it's so critically important. And then a very special guest, John McTiernan, who is an expert, I believe, on Middle Eastern affairs and Iranian affairs, will be coming in. And then, of course, Stan Deo, who's been following the geopolitics of everything as well. So this is really about the mid East. This is about the crisis in the Middle East. Israel is the prophetic key. And I believe Israel is in peril. Lastly, Joe, I was talking with a, with a man who is associated with one of the intelligence agencies and said, watch Hezbollah. He told he said this to me. He said, watch Hezbollah. Okay. Okay. I, he said, that's all I can tell you. Watch Hezbollah. I'm just passing this along to you. And, well, and isn't Hezbollah funded by Iran? I heard uh, Glenn Beck today and a little bit, and I heard Sean Hannity. I was in the car a lot today. And they were saying that Iran is the biggest, I think parroting what Donald Trump said, President Trump, that Iran is the biggest funder of terrorism. Yes, yes. And I don't know if that's true or not. You have Saudi Arabia, you have uh, Qatar and Yemen, you have different terrorist organizations. But either way, uh, obviously, they have been funding and continue to fund and even talk about from the top levels of their government the destruction of Israel, the destruction of the United States. And we know that Iran is different from other Muslim nations. They believe, their government believes, they're a part of biblical end-time prophecy, only not from the biblical perspective. Right. And that uh, we've heard many guests say that their leaders, uh, you know, will will use them. There was 64 million people that, you know, they'll all die if they have to for this religious goal as part of their country, and, and that's and different Joe, from other nations. Exactly, and, and that's what I think a lot of our leaders and a lot of the, the people on the left, and even some of the right, many on the right don't understand the political right and the social right, is that they love death more than we love life. And if you think about that, that's a, that's a really horrifying statement. And they want to inc- they want to expedite the apocalypse. Right. Because they believe in the apocalypse. They believe in the end-time scenario, except the end of their book is a little bit different than the end of ours. Same thing with, uh, you know, some people who are uh, Christians. They think if we rebuild the temple, that'll usher in and, and rush in the end-of-the-world type scenario. And those uh, apocalyptic, uh, you know, wishing or hoping for the apocalypse is not a uh, place, even in Scripture, it tells us not to uh, want that. But back to the Iran deal and what Greg yes. Hunter said yesterday. Uh, it's hard to find. Last night I had no problem finding articles about the status of the Iran deal before President Trump's decision today. But this from the National Review on, I believe it's August, November 25th, 2015. President Obama did not require Iranian leaders to sign the nuclear deal. And what Greg referenced yesterday, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, Stated that it's not a, uh, it's not a treaty, it's not a, a executive agreement, it's not even a signed document, wrote Julia Freifield, the State Department Assistant Secretary for Legislative Affairs in November 19th. So, really, I mean, uh, just on the, on the, taking a step back, looking at what the president has gotten us out of that we never would have been out of if it was not for President Trump, we have the Paris Climate Accord. We have the Trans-Pacific partnership now we have the iran deal and just those things alone 
are huge and are part of, except the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, we're part of the Obama legacy, and that continues to be dismantled by the Trump agenda, and rightfully so. That's what the American people vote for. And for anybody out there listening who doesn't already know this, this is why the media is so hysterical, because they are seeing the years of Obama, years of their own work, pushing this new world order, globalist-type agenda through being unraveled by President Trump. Now, with this Iran deal, um, there has since been, since this announced, an Iranian military base in Syria was attacked. And apparently it was, uh, they're saying that Israel attacked it. You go to Fox News, it's also now up on Drudge. An Iranian military base in Syria was attacked on Tuesday. Sources confirmed to Fox News, 10 miles south of the Syrian capital of Damascus, they're saying it's some kind of uh, industrial area I was reading on Twitter. So you have the you know continued tensions here. But what is the response of the Iranian government going to be to President Trump's pulling out of this deal? And that's the you know $64,000 question. Sean Hannity was reporting that Iran is preparing to strike Israel, but that doesn't seem to be the case, at least from what we're seeing. It's the opposite. Israel striking Iran, at least in Syria. And this is what John McTiernan is going to come on uh, to talk about also, is what can happen. And, and uh, I just got the talking points, the timeline on Israel. Israel-Iran, the Iran deal, the Saudi Arabia and Israeli alliance, the Psalm 82 and 83 war, war, and other geopolitical issues in the Middle East that don't make sense without the biblical context. So that's what John McTiernan is going to cover. And when we see, you know, the... Uh, President Trump pulling us out of the Paris Climate Accord, pulling us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, trying to renegotiate NAFTA, now getting rid of the Iran deal. None of this would have been possible if he was not president. And imagine not only the safety issues, but the other economic burdens that this would have put on us. Now, we see the former Obama administration officials and Obama himself calling this a terrible decision by the president. But what did America have to gain by entering into this into this agreement and how much danger did it put our allies in the Middle East in if this were to go forward? And does this have any different, make any difference as far as Iranian missile capabilities? Those are my questions as far as um, how will this hinder or change what they can do with their capability, their nuclear capabilities? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, how you framed all of that. I, I also went to the, our library here at the studio and uh, we've got a number of books on Iran. One of the books that, um, this is Atomic Iran. I don't know if you can see that too well. This was written by Jerome Corsi back in 2005. And what, what, not, what we're reading in the headlines today with respect to Iran's nuclear program and what he wrote back in 2005, they're coming to, well, the, the information. Uh, about the intent of Iran and such, and 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 the, Joe, the 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 um, the entire how we've been hoodwinked over the over the last really twenty well since the fall of the Shah of Iran. You got to go back to that. You got to go back to that critical period, February of nineteen seventy nine, and I remember that so clearly. I remember uh, watching the fall of of the Shah. I remember the protests, February of 79, the Shah. That, of course, is several months before the November hostage crisis. And if you're like me, many listeners, uh, you don't you have born, right? recollection of any of that. Of course not. So, but, but I, I would urge people to study that period of time. And then I had written 
with the Northeast Intelligence Network, I had written and received confirmation that Ahmadinejad was in fact part of the uh, part of the element that maintained custody of the American hostages. And of course, he became president of Iran under the umbrella of the Mullah, you know, the uh, the Ayatollah, and how Iran changed from a very secular country under the Shah. Now, the Shah, of course, no, he, he certainly wasn't a stellar guy. But compare that to perhaps uh, today, into by today's environment, today's uh, analogy, maybe with uh, Assad. Now, although the Shah might have been a little bit more uh, more oppressive against these political enemies. But all that said, look at how Iran changed from, from 19... If you would walk into... If, if you went to Iran, we'll say 1976 versus the way it is today. Absolutely a 180-degree difference. Now we're seeing that exportation of, 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 the, of the terrorists as well as the... Um, of course, you've got the Shias and the Sunnis, uh, the exp- exporting of Islam uh, by Saudi Arabia with the Sunnis and Shia uh, clan from, from Iran all over the world by way of this Muslim invasion. So, but, you know, the thing about this is that there was an article written, and I have to pull this up, The uh, that goes hand-in-hand hand with the talk of Iran. The Muslim invasion across the Western world, I think, because there are sleeper cells within the within these invaders, of course, and then of course the atomic uh, aspect of things, the atomic threat to the United States by the sleeper cells, and I do believe that that's that's an issue to be concerned concerned about. As a matter of fact, in a, uh, there, sorry about that. In atomic Iran, uh, Dr. John Corsi talks about it. So, or writes well, about it. I uh, I'm looking here on Google Images. Uh just to see if I can, uh, from what I understood, I was listening to Laura Ingram a few months ago when all the, maybe longer than that, when all the burqa talk was around, and they were talking about how the Iranian culture has become, I guess you'd say, much more progressive, much less militant in, uh, you know, what they are able to do in their culture. And, and we've seen also shifts in, in Saudi Arabia. I know uh, they're allowing women to do things that they've never done before, and they're aligning with Israel on this peace thing. So we are seeing... At the same time, the groups like ISIS and the very militant, terrorist, murderous uh, movements like yeah. ISIS and like yep. the other, uh, you know, Hezbollah and whatnot, those seem to have gotten stronger. But also, we also see part of the Muslim world attempting to, I don't know, become more of a part of the world or or to, uh, I don't know, to be not as militant in the uh, in the religious aspects. And I don't know if that's just a uh, you know an attempt to say hey look we're not as uh you know we're not like the terrorists and and you can trust us and you can let us in your countries and you can enter into deals and partnerships with us and alliances but i I don't know what what's going on at the same time we see this culture shift in the middle east we're seeing uh the whole middle east being given a facelift and maybe that's a bad analogy that's by design well that's a facelift with a hammer the regime changes the uh you know what we saw in egypt giving these extreme organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood and others power and, and leadership roles at the same time, the leaders that they take down uh, by killing them and overthrowing their government, saying they're the real threat, they were the people who were more secular than anything, protecting the Jewish, Christian, and Muslims in their countries. Gaddafi did that. Uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria did that. Even Saddam Hussein, Hussein to an extent, 
uh, kept the peace between the three religions. Of course. And this, what we sure yes and we'll let him expand on that but i want to exactly before you move on because i want to kind of circle back around to the iran iran iranian deal in quotation more air quotes i guess uh daniel greenfield wrote an incredible piece the arrest carry for collusion with islamic terror states in in and i, and I have to say this i believe john forbes carry should be arrested let me say that again. John Forbes Gary should be arrested for, uh, for violations, at least of the Logan Act, for actually treason. Yeah, he admitted treason. that today. Yes, right. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting yeah. with Iran. It was on January 20, 19th of, of this year, 27, or last year, I'm sorry, January 19th of 2017, when John Forbes Gary left his State Department job. Now he, he addressed, uh, the people there at, at uh, Foggy Bottom. In the C Street lobby, he ended the speech by declaring, this is not an end. This is a beginning. It's a new beginning. That's just what departing politicos usually say, but he meant it. This by Daniel Greenfield. Next January, a report appeared that Kerry had met with top, the, with a top negotiator for the PLO in London. Now think about this. The secret back channel negotiator. None other than Hussein Aga. He was a close confidant of terrorist dictator Mahmoud Abbas, the racist PLO boss who cursed President Trump and all of America, saying, may your house be destroyed. Aga was a frequent collaborator uh, with Robert Malley, who allegedly ran Soros and Obama's back channel to Hamas. Obama fired Malley during the campaign, but once in office brought him back in a number of roles, including as a lead negotiator. And, and, and this is incredible on this Iran deal scam and the National Security Council's point man for the Middle East. Now, when you look at this, by the way, Mali now heads Soros's international crisis group and continues undermining and def- uh, undermining America and defending the Iran deal that is really no deal at all. And Kerry urged Aga to tell the PLO boss to be strong, play for time, and not yield to President Trump's demands. Now, now think about that statement. You've got this traitorous, seditious, lurch-like creature, guy that looks like he just crawled out of out of a coffin. That's John Forbes Kelly, or uh, Kerry. Sorry, John Hines Ford. Uh, yeah, throw Hines. Hines in there, right? All That's the right. you know through part of three dynasty. But he's saying, he's saying, look, hang loose. We're gonna we're gonna fix this. He's negotiating with terrorists. Arrest the guy. Hey, hey, somebody in the uh, FBI, pick up the white courtesy phone, huh? Or or the Department of Justice, or perhaps uh, maybe there should be a military arrest in this case. But the former Secretary of State suggested that the PLO present its own peace plan that he would push through his contacts in the European Union and Muslim countries. What are these guys working for the Muslims? And yeah, for the, yes. so for those people in our age, my age group, okay, which is, which is to say old, do you ever remember a time, or we're going to say back in the 70s, that this ever took place? I mean, remember Entebbe. Well, they're not working 4th, for the Muslims. Okay? They're working for the Globalist, globalist agenda, but, right? And the, the 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 Muslims are the are the the stooges and tools, right? 
You're right. I, I mean, that's what it boils. What what else can account for this huge shift? I mean, from what happened from not even nine eleven to today, that you see. Uh, I mean, just look at nine eleven. That that whole thing is such a mess. Uh, you know, they say the hijackers were what, from Saudi Arabia. I don't yeah, know how many people saw it. Nineteen from Saudi Arabia. Right? A judge yeah. awarded victims' families of nine eleven billions of dollars the other day from Iran, from the Iranian government. But the the, um, the shift, what we've seen, you know, uh, you know, the terrorism, the Middle East, and Muslim attacked us on nine eleven is the narrative of the globalist to this. You know, now pushing for, I mean, look at the transformation that our own government has gone through and what they are propagating on the people to believe as well. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. it, it's the complete on, uh, 180 degree shift and it, it's just crazy. But I want to make sure we, I want to hit this point. I just posted this on Hagman Report. This isn't a great article. It's very, uh, it, it hits the point. It, it could go a lot further, but this is something we talk about, you talk about a lot. Please be polite to progressives while they destroy us. Progressives continue escalating their attacks against their enemies, particularly Christians, and there's no sign anyone plans to stop them. Worse yet, there still seems to be quite a few people with the mindset that we should be civil and polite as they destroy us. And it goes through some examples of uh, just terrible things, uh, child abuse and pedophilia. And it says, as always, there are no surprises with these latest acts of evil. The point of no return came years ago. Only shocking thing is, is that... We have professing Christians who act as if aggressively confronting this divide is unconscionable. The combination of progressive mainstreaming evil and Christians demanding that we be polite in responding to it should make us passionately mad, righteously angry, if you will. And if anyone counter-argues that it shouldn't, then I have to ask, why then would anything anger us any longer? Or to put it another way, if current events aren't caused to make us righteously angry, why should we care about anything any longer? That's right. And it goes on from there to make the case against people who are calling themselves Christians, yet putting down other Christians for being impolite or uncivil with progressives. And the last sentence, we should be passionately fighting back with an unwavering desire to legally defeat them. We, we shouldn't, shouldn't be playing nice with evil. No, no. Understand this. There are no rules. They're not playing by the rules. This is a street fight. And everyone wants to play like this is a refereed boxing match. We can't allow it. That's right. Folks, Folks, was on Hagman Report. I, look, pay attention. This next next segment, pay attention. Greg Hunter from last night. But it's so important we have to run it again. We're going to be right back. Network break. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Trump Rick rips Kerry for possibly illegal shadow diplomacy on Iran deal. Where is the outrage over Kerry's collusion with Iran? Buck Sexton, John Kerry's freelance Iran nuke diplomacy is wrong in every way. Hey, wait a minute. Donald Trump, president-elect, can't talk. Logan Act. <laughs> Logan Act. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay, John Kerry can't, you know, he's riding his bike, bicycle over over the streets of Europe into Iran and meeting with mullahs, right? Well, here to uh, unload and buckle up, USA watchdog Greg Hunter 
Uh, that's all I got to say, and we're going to stand back because he's got stuff to say. Greg Hunter, welcome to the Hageman Report, and the floor is yours, brother. We're just going to stay out of the way and try not to, not to get hit by anything. Oh, no, ask some questions because the carry thing brings all this up in full view, and I've been bitching about this since 2015 when the Daily Mail UK, their American handle is DailyMail.com, but their UK publication is DailyMail.co.uk, brought this up, and I put this on my website. And I even called, uh, I, I sat at an hour today uh, just to tell you how outrageous I, outraged I am about this. And nobody keeps, everybody keeps reporting the same lie. The Iran deal was signed. The Iran deal was signed. You know, when the Iran deal was signed, it, it stopped. Stop. I called, I called the Rush Limbaugh show today. Got a producer and said, hey, this is Greg Hunter. I said, the Iran deal was not signed. Uh, Julia Fryfield, the Assistant Secretary of Legi- Legislative Affairs, wrote uh, Mike Pompeo a letter. He was then congressman. I stopped. I, that's just crazy, kooky, lunatic. Uh, uh, that's just a, a, a conspiracy, kooky, uh, kook, cuckoo stuff. I said, wait, wait, no, no, the letter exists. This is, this is the Rush Limbaugh show today. I said, I don't need to see it. I said, no, the letter is it. I don't need to see it. Click. What? I want you to suck this. I want you to take this in. And I've had intelligence sources tell me, oh, no, no, you're right on the money. And there is a letter, and you can see the letter written in November 19, 2015 by Lisa Julia, Julia Fryfield. Assistant Secretary of Legislative Affairs that she wrote to then Congressman Mike Pompeo and let me just read you the 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 first two lines. Dear Mr. Pompeo, thank you for your September 18th letter regarding the nuclear deal with Iran, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. In quotes, JCPOA is not a treaty or an executive agreement and is not a signed document. Wow. Let me me say that again. The JCPOA is not a treaty or an executive agreement and it's not a signed document. Oh, it gets better. You can read the letter for yourself. Go on my website. Now, I'm going to try to get clicks here. You go on my website and then my weekly news wrap-up, which is the second one behind Pretty Nomi Prins. I don't mean it's like a sexist, but she is pretty and very smart, too. She's got a new book out. But anyway, it says, Iran nukes, uh, Rudy to the rescue, and Dems are socialists. If you open that up, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page and you can and get where I say here, and you can read it for yourself. There's a photocopy of the letter, a photocopy of the letter that the uh, the uh, Daily Mail UK put in. It says, to see the story that contains the, the, a copy of the letter by the John Kerry State Department, admitting there is no signed deal with Iran, click here. It goes to the Daily Mail UK. Daily Mail UK. There is a photocopy about three-fourths of the way down. I, I'm, it gets better. The success of the JCPA will not depend on whether it's legally binding or signed, but rather on the extensive verification measures. Stop. Stop. This is according to the Kerry State Department. The success of the JCPOA will not depend on whether it's legally binding or signed. So it's not... Excuse me. So it's not legally binding because it's not signed. 
This is not crazy conspiracy theory talk. You can see a photocopy, not a just somebody typed it out, a photocopy that went to Mike Pompeo. Now, God is funny. See, God is funny, and I mean no disrespect. I mean, God is funny that he knows all the punchlines to the jokes and he gets the last laugh. God is funny. Mike Pompeo was a congressman, the only one that has presence of mind to say, hey, uh, John Kerry, Mr. State Department, Mr. Save the World, John Kerry, who's over there now. I'll get to more about what I think all this means. Uh, can I see a copy where they signed this and you get this back? The success of the JPOA, JPOA will not depend on whether it's legally binding or signed, but rather on the ex extensive verification measures that we have in place. Mm. Folks, this is not a signed deal. Now, I'm not that smart. I'm a, you know, the son of a machinist. Uh, my dad had a farm, and, and also, uh, you know, I got a general studies degree, so I'm not that smart. But you do a $150 billion deal at least. And you don't get any signatures from the people who you're doing the deal with? That's too stupid to be stupid. It goes on, this letter, and please go get it. it scroll down about three-quarters of the way. You'll see an actual photocopy of the letter. You can confirm with Mike Pompeo's office. I have not done that, but I know it's real. You can, And I've heard actually people talk about it years ago. It just quietly, well, you know, the whole deal wasn't signed. I mean, well, you know, and they just gloss over that years ago. And I said, but they don't say anything about that. That's outrageous. I've actually heard people talk about it on mainstream meal and just get the people in the know. They know it's not signed. It's not signed. It goes on to say that we provided Congress with everything agreed to between the P5 plus one in Iran and the JCPOA in full compliance with the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, and then it says, there are no secret deals between the P5 plus one Iran uh, and no JCPOA documents that Congress has not already have. Really? You mean you told them about the pallets of money that you sent over there, really? Interesting. And then, uh, let, let's just back up here to a wide shot now. Now let's just, yeah. so, let, let, so again, again, let's let's get this this idiocy out there on the table that most people would say it's not a deal. The second letter, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, according to the John Kerry State Department and Assistant Secretary of Legislative Affairs Julia Freifield, in November 19, 2015, said. From the John Kerry State Department, this is not what I say, this is what they said, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, a.k.a. the Iran nuclear deal, is not a treaty or an executive agreement and is not a signed document. Let me say it again. The JCPOA is not a signed document. I know I'm being overly crazy, but this is big, folks, and here's why. So you got Macron coming over here for this big state dinner. Oh, man, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing sends out, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the most important things you can get from uh, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, a, a invitation to the White House. That is unbelievably tightly controlled, those invitations. That's more tightly controlled than the uh, people that print, that the same people there print our money. Uh, that's uh, that's tightly controlled. They got state dinner, photo ops. The girls are in beautiful dresses. It's gorgeous. It's great. Uh, Macron leaves, and then the very next day, Merkel comes over, and they order out at Wendy's. <laughs> okay. 
Are you with me? <laughs> Why in the hell did Merkel come over here in a rush? I mean, after all, doesn't she deserve a state dinner? Sure she does, but she came over in a rush. Why? Why? Why are they putting pressure on Donald Trump to stay in the JCPOA? The Iranians say they'll start World War III. Why? You are still enriching uranium. You don't have any inspections. The inspections that you have are just a front to make believe they're inspections. You get to, to, to do uh, uranium enrichment, and you never signed a document. So you're going to start World War III over a document you never signed? Excuse me? Wow. Okay. Uh... Do you think now, now let's fast forward, how in the world could the Iranians get out of carry pallets of cash? You know, the number one state sponsor of terror, uh, they've been the number one state sponsor of terror since, oh, I don't know, the Carter administration. How could they get pallets of money flown in? Well, I mean, you're taking billions of dollars of our 150 and all that other money you guys stopped with the SWIFT system. Uh, and, uh, you know, do you think the Clintons and the Clinton Global Charity Fraud, oh, excuse me, the Clinton Foundation, do you think the Clintons, the Obama Foundation, George Soros, do you think the players in Europe that are freaking out now in the U.K. and Germany and France, what's going on? You know, you, you know Russia's run by a strong man with a 75% approval rating, wink, wink. Uh, so, he, you know, Putin's not in any kind of trouble. Uh, Xi Jinping is is a, uh, you know, dictator for life now, so he's not in any kind of trouble. So who is freaking? Uh, Merkel? <laughs> Merkel. Freaking Merkel. Because they committed treason in their own countries. They took bribes. Everybody got a piece of the money. People in government got a piece of the money. People in our government got a piece of the money. Kerry is over there breaking the Logan Act. Okay, I know nobody's ever been prosecuted for it, but he's breaking a federal law. It's a felony. It's kind of like Clinton. You know, let's see. What's, let's, what's worse? Let's see. Do I do I burn these thirty three thousand emails under subpoena and let them see what I've been doing with you know uranium one and all this treason and all this fraud or do I just burn them? Let's see. It's uh, it's less of a burden for me, a lesser law to break than just burning uh, the emails. So carry. So I'm going to go over there and commit. Um, you know, and Trump is tweeting about this now. I'm going to go ahead and break a federal law, and I'm going to take a chance that I won't be prosecuted for it because, man, I've got to get the arena. I've got to get this tied up. You know, Hillary is supposed to win, and oh, oh, man. And you think Kerry with his foundation, does he have a foundation also? Doesn't he have a foundation? I don't know. Somebody Google that real quick. I think he does. Do you think any of that money came back in that foundation? Do you think anybody in their foundation, Obama's got a foundation, Clinton's have a foundation, uh, all the people overseas and the money that went out, do you think any of those people, I here's what I say, I can't prove this, but I think this deal is too stupid to be stupid. The Century Foundation, You don't by the way. do a deal like this, and the Iranians say you can sit on a short <laughs> stick and pound stand, and I'm not going to sign it. And by the way, get your ass over here and fly me some pallets of money in because I'm going to use it for terrorism, as John Kerry admitted. Yep. So uh, this is the story of stories. But why? Why are all the European quote unquote allies pressuring Donald Trump? You got to stay in this deal <laughs> because they're all going to jail, baby. Good point. I mean, Macron wasn't part of the deal, but but Hollande was. And, you know, why did he just step down? Just because he had a bad approval rating? When did that ever stop a socialist from running for office? <laughs> Good point. Okay. And 
and and Merkel and Merkel's not too popular and boy don't you think that her uh, enemies would love to know you and this was all covered over in the press that this isn't a story I mean even you come and I, I'm sorry that that, uh, that Rush Limbaugh who I like incidentally has a, a an idiot who can't you know think outside the box because um, these guys don't I don't know what the deal is, but you guys have it. And I'm telling you, I've held the thing up on the air. I've pointed people to the website. Um, I, you know, they. This is a deal with no signature. I mean, listen, this is what it has to be. It can't be anything else. I mean, there's no other way. How could you get a deal like this with no signatures that came with covert pallets of money sent to the number one world sponsor of terror, uh, according to the Kerry State Department, and still today, still the number one world's uh, state sponsor of terror? How could they get pallets of money? How could they get no signatures well, and no instructions of their military it. department? You know, gentleman's agreement or gentle lady's agreement. Okay. No, you, <laughs> I, 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 they got no signatures. No signatures. That's yeah. Didn't they always tell us this was a deal? So you assume it's a signed deal? Nobody would ever assume it wasn't a signed deal. Man, I'm looking oh, man, at I'm I, looking at this letter uh, dated. Uh, it's no, a photocopy. Oh, you, oh, you well, got it. Yeah. You, did you? So you you dial it up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that outrageous? I mean, they this person. I wonder what happened to uh, Julia uh, Fryfield. I wonder if she got creamed on this wow. because uh, this is the uh, most outrageous thing I've ever seen. Okay, okay. I mean, you can't. You well, well so, so no, no. There's going to be a two o'clock uh, announcement tomorrow, right, by President Donald Trump about the, this Iran deal. Obviously, he's he's been read in on this, right? I mean, he's got to know. Oh, he must know. He, he's got to know. He's got to know that this is not a sign. Listen again. Let's back up now. Who did this letter go to? Mike Pompeo, right? Congress and Mike. So what is he now? Let's see. He spent a little time at the CIA. That was probably good for him. And now he's where? Secretary of State. Oh, yeah. The same place that did this deal with John Kerry. Why did uh, Tillerson get fired? Do you think maybe it's because he still wanted to keep this deal? Oh, you mean you want to cover over the fraud? Hmm. Boy, that puts a whole That's just me. I'm just a dumb guy with a general studies uh, degree. Yeah, well... That's just me. Yeah. I think a lot of people got paid. I can't prove that, but that's what I think. I, I, I don't see how it could not be fraud and treason and what carries committee even some more treason. And they're trying to pressure Donald Trump. So let me get this straight. You, an American citizen, John Kerry, former Secretary of State, former U.S. citizen, you are at the world's number one sponsor of terror, and you're trying to get them to say they're going to commit World War III if we get out. You're trying to put pressure on the President of the United States to get rid of him. John Kerry, you're a traitor. Mm. Stunning, is it? Why what do the, you say to that? Uh, I think you. I think you said it. I think you said it all. But but why the silence on this? Well, I guess that's a kind of a stupid question. Of no one's reporting this, and, and it, Rush Limbaugh just, you know, the producer just, yeah, fine. Said it was uh, kooky conspiracy theory stuff. I got the letter though. I don't need to see the letter. I guess I should have identified. I'm a former investigator correspondent, but I've called like other shows uh, from time to time. And oh, don't talk about your website. We don't, don't do that. We, I'm sorry. Click. I've called that Sean Hannity before. Click. I'm like, okay. Well, I thought you were talking about the press, and being that I was in the press and yeah. worked at a pretty high level as an investigative correspondent, and I work with all the lawyers, and I figure you want to know how it works. But oh well. 
keep guessing. Man, this is no small deal. This is huge. This is a huge deal. When you, it, John Kerry just brought this whole deal back into complete and total focus. Why would this guy be over there conspiring with, again, the number one state sponsor of terror? They never left that list, boys and girls. Right. Why would he be doing that? Because he's not saving the deal, as they want to point out, because they're fraudulent propagandists to the mainstream press. He's saving his bacon. He's getting riling up support to get rid of Trump and pressure him. You've seen the stories about pressuring Donald Trump. They're pressuring. This is the real deal, the reason why they hate Donald Trump. These people all committed fraud. These people are all up to their necks with the George Soros open borders. I mean, the UK has a complete total invasion going on over there, with uh, including the uh, the uh, looking the other way for their Sharia courts. They're practicing their own law over there. You know, female uh, uh, genitalia mutilation. That's okay too. Rapes. Uh, oh, we're going to ban knives because there's so many stabbings by uh, you know Islamic uh, crazy uh, terrorists over there. They're going to ban knives. And but uh, but America the problem. Yeah. It's Donald Trump. Well, okay. Help me through this. And aside from the self-enrichment, what's gained by that? Is there something more to that? I mean, what am I missing? Uh, I think of if you got billions of dollars and you could funnel and, and pad charities electronically with billions and billions of dollars and and the UK, the leaders there get a piece in France or they're sucking wind. They're, uh, you know, the ECB is buying their bonds. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, uh, UK, their banks, uh, you know, they still have the pound sterling. They're buying their bonds. They're buying their junk. They're eating their own cooking. Uh, the ECB is buying the bonds of, uh, Germany. Germany has Deutsche Bank, okay. uh, which yeah. is a, uh, the IMF's world's most systemically, uh, uh, a probable failure of worst bank in the world. Uh, they added another to the IMF. This is according to the IMF. Uh, what's gained by this? I think it's what's gained by this is they don't really care uh, about uh, any kind of national security. They cared about enriching themselves. I think I think they wanted to aid uh, in a, a direct enemy of Iran. Of course, nobody says a word about them building, what is it now, up to 10 bases in Syria and two in real close proximity to the Israeli border. You have the supreme leader, you hear all these years, oh, you've misinterpreted the Farsis. You've misinterpreted. No, the Supreme Leader back in 2015 wrote a book on how to destroy Israel. I think he's working that plan out right now, don't you? Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, they, they might be missing a base now, but but beyond beyond that, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's what the what the bombing was about. Yeah, exactly. Where they're those bases. That's right. So, so, so what we—you're well, not hearing anything. So what but we I, listen. I think. Well, well I just want to make make it clear what we have now. We've already established what they are. We're just dickering over the price now, right? I mean, that, that's you know the old saying. Yes, I think that's, that's the only way you can have a deal that's not signed, and then got covered over. And this is the European press, so the American press didn't didn't bring this out, and they didn't say much about it in the Europe. This is an American deal. I mean, without America, this this deal doesn't fly, right? Right. Well, so yeah. It's an American, it's an American Obama deal, but I think the Obama, you know, the Obama administration, the Obama, President Obama has his own foundation. You think they got some money? Yes, I, that's what I think. Uh, the Clinton Foundation, which is another money laundering, you know, giant scam of, uh, you know, the Russian, uh, uh, deal. 
You think they got some money? Oh, yeah. You think all these other people have their own foundations? You think they got some money? Yeah. You think they got paid directly? I probably think that uh, you're going to find out when they when they run the money down, you're going to find out a lot of people got paid that shouldn't have gotten paid when that's treason. In every country, that's treason. And Pompeo, they have to be crapping their pants at the guy that asked about the letter. I think this is the, the irony that can only be divinely, uh, you know, uh, given. Uh, that the guy that got the letter, Mike Pompeo, as a congressman from Kansas, ends up being the guy, the Secretary of State. And he hates the deal. The no-signature, unenforceable deal. He hates it. And so does Trump. I think they said it was going to make a, uh, a, uh, a discernment on what the... This, this coming next Tuesday, or is it this Tuesday? I, I thought it was 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Eastern Time. 2 o'clock tomorrow, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, well, um, I think he's going to back out of it. I don't see how he can't. you got to... You, excuse me. He's back, well, back out of I was going to say, back, back out no of what? Deal. Yeah, back out of what? There's no deal. What deal? Show me the signatures. Uh, 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 it's like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Show me the signatures. Uh, 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 uh. There's no deal. You don't do a $150 billion deal. That's stupid. And this is why I think it's fraud. It's fraud perpetrated on America. It's fraud perpetrated on the people of France, uh, the people of the United Kingdom, uh, the people of Germany. It's fraud. It's treason. Man. That's what this is. This is if we and listen, people like people will will probably write in blood if you you hate Iran. No, I would have really liked a real deal. I would have liked a real deal that would avert war. We didn't get that. Well, they're giving them their money back. They need to shut up. <laughs> they're giving them their money back. Then we should have gotten something for that, right? Not, you know, Mr. Ed, horse face carry. Well, I guess they will use it for terrorism. Yeah, guess what? They're not going to burn your gated little 150-acre compound, are they? Wow. Okay, well, why don't we know? I mean, well, you, where does this go from here after well, Trump's well, you, decision? I, I think it goes to trial, frankly. I hope so. I think Kerry should, they should be waiting, the uh, the U.S., uh, the FBI should be waiting when Kerry gets off his private jet, and they ought to put him in, in cuffs right then and there. That's what I think. He's conspiring with Iran, telling them, I think, to tell the world, we're going to have World War III. You better, why? World War III, why? For a deal you weren't even forced to sign? For uranium that you get to keep enriching for inspections of your military Man. sites that never happened? Why? World War III, for what reason? Exactly. The... What reason would you have for that? Uh... What, because BB Netanyahu stepped up and said, hey, you're still enriching uranium, which is true. Right. We're going to have World War III. These people ought to all be in cuffs. I'm telling you, uh, hmm. the, the longer Trump stays in office, the stronger he gets. And the, I think they know about this. That's what I think. I don't know. I don't have any personal contacts inside the Trump administration. I don't. But I think they, they can't be this. They are not stupid. I think General Flynn knows all about this. You know, now we find out that, oh, nobody in the FBI thought he lied. Oops, uh-oh. You see what's happening with uh, Mueller. He looks like a, a, a buffoon moron. You know, he indicts these cartoon characters, uh, you know, over in uh, Russia for colluding to destroy America. And one of these cartoon characters jumps off the page and says, oh, really? I want discovery. And the judge says, you're right about that. Bring it. No, no, Mr. Mueller, you don't get any time. Bring it. You indicted these people. Let's see it. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, that wasn't supposed to happen. I was never supposed to prosecute these cartoon characters. One of them came to life. Man.
Okay. So I'm telling you this whole thing with this, but this this is the story of the story, the story of the century right here. This is the fraud, the treason of the century in the Obama, because people got paid off, I think. I think people in the Obama administration got paid off. I think people in uh, with Obama, I think Clinton, I think the Clinton Foundation, Chelsea, Bill, I think uh, I think all the leaders, you know, Alain, I think he was in office in 2015. Merkel was over there. I don't know who was who was in, uh, uh, what's his name, was over there, not before uh, Theresa May. But they're all, they had to have people inside their government say yes to this, and they said yes I think to the cash. Well, Nobody cared about signatures yeah. they got paid. Did the check, check cash? Yep. I don't care about the signatures. That, that's the only thing that makes sense uh, at this that's point. That's the only thing that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That's the only thing. Because they weren't really... Because uh, the first thing you would have done if you wanted a deal is you would have, and this wasn't a treaty anyway, as they said, which Obama wouldn't have gotten it through the Senate because there had been too much inspection of it because it was always intended to be a fraud. They never intended to um, uh, basically get any signatures. I think they always intended to ju- just take a big chunk of the Iranian money. And, you know, if you get back $50 billion, it's better than nothing. That's right. Okay. Or I don't know what they got back. Eighty billion? I don't know. I don't know what they got back. They didn't get the whole one hundred and fifty. I don't think. That's the only thing that makes sense. It does. Because anybody with two neurons touching together would say, "Okay, where are the signatures?" You mean you're not going to sign it? Yeah, no, we're not going to sign it. Yeah. And then everybody shook, looked at each other, and went, "Damn, that's good with me. I'm fine. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you're good. You have to sign it. It's fine." This is the, the, you're right. To me, this is the story of, of all stories. It's the story of all stories. I'm telling you, when this thing blew, and Mike Pompeo was now, and I think it, 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 I am just speculating here now, folks, so I don't have anything. The only thing I have for sure is this letter from the Kerry State Department that says the JCPOA is not a treaty or an executive agreement. It is not a signed document. That's all I have, okay? Isn't that enough? Uh, it's now with John a, yeah. Kerry over there bumbling around trying to save the deal that wasn't signed, let me get this straight, Johnny. You're trying to save a deal that was never signed? Really? Tell me about that. Man. Tell me about the deal that was never signed, according to your State Department. That you're trying to save, save what deal? Save what? What are you trying to save? Multiple levels of criminality. In, uh, That's what I think. Wow. I can't prove it, and I don't have any, and I just want to make sure I disclaim that. And you want to do that, too, for your show. But, <laughs> come on. I mean, wow. what are they say in Yale or Harvard? I don't know. If it looks like a duck and walks yeah. like a duck, it's a duck. Mm-hmm. This is quacking. All right. That was from yesterday. That was Greg Hunter. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, why are you playing that back again? Because... Everything is contingent, in my view, in our view, everything is contingent upon that one agreement that they never signed. And so, really, what did Donald Trump back out of? Nothing. It's Everything is misrepresented in the press. I just want to drive it. Plus, there was so much other little tidbits in that in that uh, interview. I think it was a groundbreaking interview. Joe? Yeah, it was. And uh, back to the you know National Review article. It, it spells it all out there, and I posted that in the YouTube chat. President Obama didn't require Iranian leaders to sign the nuclear deal that his team negotiated with the regime, and also that the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, is not a treaty or an executive agreement. It's not a signed document, wrote Julia Fryfield. That's what Greg Hunter was referencing. And that information was given to Mike Pompeo, 
and he responded to John Kerry. But the uh, all that being said, the agreement is, is is null and void. Now, what happens to the payments that were made to the pallets of cash? Are are those going to be returned? I think Greg talked Obviously about that. Not. He said no, no. They're, they're you know expect those to be. But either way, this. We're getting email. Hang on a second. We're getting email. Look, folks, this segment from last night, I I thought, we all thought collectively in the studio, it was so damn important to understand, to hear this again, because of all the misconception out there. So if you're you're tuning in and saying, "Well, well, well, why? Please understand, everything has been built on a lie. Everything Obama did is built on a lie. To me, this is critical. Yeah, uh, I mean, end, end of story. It, it's critical. We played that again from Greg Hunter. I think that no one's talking about this. We're talking about it. No one else is talking about it. Rush Limbaugh's show wouldn't talk about it. Why not? If you're a businessman, I, I don't know. You don't even have to be a businessman. It's just common sense. If you're talking about a deal that, that the other party won't sign, and you're expecting them to go along with the, with the tenants of that deal, are you nuts? Are you out of your mind? And cash is paid in advance? Well, that's the thing. U.S. taxpayer money, um, by the pallet full, were given to, were, were flown to Iran, and that's money that the U.S. is never going to see again. And I don't know, is, is it the billions of dollars? One, what was it? A one? It was a hundred billion, I, something I, like I, that. I, I, something crazy? You know, I don't know the exact figure, but it's a ton of money. Okay, so maybe literally a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I bet it was more than a ton of money if it was uh, in the hundreds of billions of dollars. But, yeah, we're never going to uh, see that money again. But John McTiernan, coming up next, he's going to be talking about this. And also, the uh, well, this is what's going on. This is what I, uh, during that Greg Hunter piece, I, I did a little bit of research. So the U.S. Embassy has issued an alert to U.S. employees not to travel to the Golan Heights without approval, pre-approval from the government, as the Golan Heights also opened up bomb shelters in anticipation of some kind of uh, retaliation attack for what just happened in Syria as an Iranian military base was attacked in Syria. There's been nine confirmed dead so far, and Iran is blaming the Israeli military. Now, there was also a strike last month where nine or seven other Iranian military officials were killed. Uh, That was Israel also. So you have this, uh, and, and also irregular activity. That's the reason for these increased warnings in Israel irregular activity of the Iranian military. And this is important because when uh, John McTiernan comes on, apparently the way the Iranian military is positioned is it only has to travel a short distance to reach Israel. And it it can do so, uh, I think Israel, or Saudi Arabia. I got to check my map here. It it can do so by going through Kuwait. It's Saudi Arabia. And the alliance between Israel and Saudi Arabia is something that has been growing stronger day by day, week by week. And this is one of the talking points that uh, John McTiernan is going to talk about. So I want to know, with this alliance between Saudi Arabia and Israel growing stronger and the possibility for Iranian retaliation and the fact that Saudi Arabia and Iran are, uh, what, fierce enemies, how much risk there is of Iran going to war the, with Saudi Arabia. The, the tribal Arabia. aspect of Saudi Arabia and Iran, the Shiite versus Sunni. So, it, plus the strategic military aspects as well. And don't forget, Obama was the, the, the player, main player and the orchestrator of the power shift from Saudi Arabia to Iran. And what Donald Trump just did was reverse the legacy, Obama's legacy, if you will, or he, he put a, a, 
put the fly in the ointment there uh, for this this power shift uh, this to, to Iran. So, so it. By the way, talk about prophecy. John McTernan, by the way, Joe is was one of the first guests, and I know him. He, he had written to me before his first appearance, and we had we had talked and corresponded. And he, he I'm going to tell you, John McTernan has been 100% accurate. The last time he was on our program was last June, but he has been 100% accurate in terms of matching current events with prophetic elements of the Bible. So the reason we did this today, the big news of the day, the Iran deal, which is really, well, it wasn't a deal because it wasn't, no, they didn't agree to it. So first of all, the uh, the, the mainstream media and even some of the uh, the conservative media they're talking out their, you know, backsides when they're talking about this and, and they're characterizing it improperly. But let's just say it was a working deal. Donald Trump's saying no more. That's got the Middle East being reset, in my view anyway, being reset to a, a previous time when, in fact, um, there was stability in the Middle East pre-Arab Spring. you gotta, you got to think about this historically now. Because when you look at what Obama did, through the Arab Spring with Clinton as the Secretary of State and how everything played out. Okay. And everything was going to Iran and Iran is, is nuclear power. And remember that the father of the, of the bomb in Pakistan, uh, AQ Khan, remember that, remember that whole AQ Khan environment back this, not during the Bush era, post the 2000 or the 21st century. Well, even during the, I should say even during the Clinton era, Perhaps more strongly, and the uh, the black market or the the Walmart of the nuclear bomb industry in the Middle East. Then you have Obama coming in, post George Bush, George W. Bush, and creating this power shift along with Hillary Clinton to Iran, strengthening Iran, pal to cash. Here we have Donald Trump coming in as president, saying, "Whoa, this is not right. It's a bad deal." Then you've got the left freaking out CNN basically saying, well, we're all going to die. And people <laughs> accuse us of, of fear porn, you know. Yeah, and we're going to, we, we have Mr. So McTiernan with us and we're going to talk about all that and more. And just to respond to a quick email, uh, thanks for this piece of information. I forgot it was reported that the, I, the money that Iran received was their own money that had been frozen through sanctions and whatnot. That's how it was reported. I, uh, I don't believe that to be true. That's how it was. You're, you're okay. That's correct. But yeah, but and, and uh, there's two different, two different iterations of that money. That and the money. Um, how can I put this? That well, it, the, the the money that that the, the frozen assets, because you, again, go back to 1979 and henceforth, and um, then then the Greasing the skids for the Iran Iran deal, two separate issues of money, uh, two separate uh, deals of money. But let's bring John McTernan on. Uh, yeah, and uh, we're going to uh, bring him on, and we're going to be talking about the Middle East. And I want to start with this: God's modern timeline for Israel converging in 2017. This is a piece that John sent us uh, just before the show, and you can go to defendproclaimthefaith.org, and you can go there. Uh, or just also search for God's Modern Timeline for Israel Converging in 2017. It's a great piece. Mr. McTiernan, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Well, it's, uh. Hey, you're looking good, brother. 
I got to, I got to, I got to say, I, re, I remember fondly our, our, our initial conversations, and you know, you've been dead right, accurate with everything you've you've said off air and on air about the Middle East and how things are going to play out. Man, we're so we're so lucky to have you here. Well, thank you. And I I'm just looking at myself now on the screen, and uh, I haven't been able to adjust my color. I think I look like a ghost. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's uh, why I'm looking uh, black to myself. Hey, we look like we could just crawl out of coffins. So don't no, worry no, about it. No, no, you guys look good. I mean, I'm all washed out and all. I and I didn't get to adjust it, but just so your listeners know, I am alive. <laughs> no worries, my man. Uh, well, uh, again, you know, you're uh, what I would call an expert. On, on, on current events, meaning, uh, biblical prophecy. Tell, tell people about your book, by the way. Tell people about yourself who have not heard you be, it's been a long time, so let's, let's get reacquainted, reintroduce well, yourself, you. you don't mind. Yeah, my, uh, my book that's been the bestseller, by the way, um, Bibi Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, was given a copy of that book last November, and we had a photo op on it. And if you are on my uh, screen right now, uh, if you're on my uh, blog page, on the top left-hand side, you just scroll down a little bit, and you'll see a picture of um, Netanyahu being handed the book, as America has done to Israel. Um, uh, the book is right on. I mean, everything that I wrote 20 years ago is just unfolding right now. I wrote about Iran and where that was heading. I wrote about the Palestinians. I wrote about... Um, what I call the Psalm 83 war would precede Ezekiel 38 and 39. And that's where we are right now. Um, uh, and I, I, yeah, there's the book. Yeah. If you, can you scroll just a little bit down there? There it is right there. If you, can you see it? There's, um, yeah. Netanyahu getting a copy of my book. <laughs> that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. What an honor. And, um, Three or four now, maybe five Israeli ambassadors have been have been uh, given a copy of the book, and so was uh, George Bush uh, Jr. And then he made a statement once that I took it, I attributed it to my book. He said he didn't believe in correlations between um, in interfering with Israel and judgments on America. And they, I think the only way he could have come up with that is he read my book too. Uh, one congressman and one of his um, uh, financial advisors, there's uh, campaign advisors, uh, gave him a copy of my book. So it's gotten around, Doug, and I'm very pleased. It's a stunning book. The information therein is is pretty interesting, and you're gonna have a lot of people say. And I've read this. Um, I, I have read so many, uh, and I probably shouldn't do this, but but so many of the progressives who are without faith or without any kind of uh, spiritual guidance as to the, uh, the, the Israel is being God's timepiece and Israel being God's real estate real property you know they just don't quite get it so um, they, on the right they don't either well I mean, yeah how many how often do you hear Fox News even uh, yeah. talking about or any mainstream media talking about the prophetic aspect of, of what's going yeah, on and I cite your book all the time with with, with the uh, examples you've given and I think that there's a, a, a tremendous case to be made but uh, we don't want to talk yes it, uh, no, it's, this is very important because your listeners some of your listeners may not be aware of this but the covenant that God made with um, Abraham goes back 4,000 years right 
And the prophecies, the prophecy was Israel would be dispersed into the nations. And this prophecy that Israel would be brought back into the nation, or back as a nation, uh, prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Israel was not only dispersed once, but twice. We go back to 2600 B.C. with the Babylonians. And Israel came back. And then uh, they, they rebuilt the nation. They rebuilt Jerusalem. And they rebuilt the priesthood and all. And then the Romans in, in 70 A.D., they did the same thing. And they dispersed the Jews into all the world. And century after century after century went by. But the prophet, the prophecies were there. And Jesus Christ himself said that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the non-believers until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That, that the Jews are going to come back just before his second coming. So they're back. And we have Jerusalem, the capital. We have the nation of Israel. They speak Hebrew. They even have shekels for money. Um, there is no other nation on earth like Israel. None. And that's because God has a covenant with the people, and there is a purpose for that covenant, which I don't know if we have to get into now. It's just that the that you listeners know that Israel is there because of a covenant God made with them. Okay. Now, the other thing I, I, I really would like to get into, foundationally, I suppose, we are seeing, at least I am, a lot of anti-Semitic statements that that Israel, um, and I think we're, we're, this is very dangerous. Where even Christians will criticize Israel, saying that they're, you know, that they don't, uh, that they're, um, they're corrupt. Uh, uh, we, I think you know what I'm referring to. Without getting into a lot of detail, there's this this increasing anti-Semitism. And, and of course, you know the Zionists, the bankers, they they run everything. We understand that, but the difference between Zionism and, and or, or the political Zionist uh, versus the Jews, all right? There's a lot of misinformation and um, a lot of a lot of hatred towards Israel and our position on Israel, which I I I don't quite I don't quite understand that. Um, because, for example, it'd be like we can criticize the the criminal element within the CIA, for example, but that does not represent America. That re- represents a criminal cabal. But when it comes to Israel, that it's almost like this this um, this wall goes up, and people believe that that Israel is not deserving of our um, that or that that all of Israel is corrupt. When in fact, it's you know the, the I don't even like using the term political Zionists, you know, but but it's the people that are out there that are um, engaged in criminal activity. Do you know what I'm referring to? I, I'm, I didn't articulate yeah, it well, sure. but but yeah. I, I just have a problem with that. I'm just seeing this increasing hatred toward Israel by America. Well, yes and no. I, what I think you're looking at is a hardened uh, certain percentage, but by and large, far and away, uh, the Americans support Israel more than any other people. Its last poll was out. It fluctuates a little back and forth. But the last poll was about 65, 68% of the American people uh, support Israel. And it's kind of across the board. It's weakening now with the Democrats. The That element that you, you were describing is starting to really take a foothold with the Democrats as they turn and accept the uh, Muslims more and they're, they're 
They're bringing the Muslims in. Well, you can't have the two together. Um, but we still are really strong towards um, supporting Israel. Uh, politically, we are. So we're unique um, in our support for Israel. And in my book, As America's Done to Israel, I chart how we grew to be a tremendously powerful nation, coinciding, uh, blessing the Jewish people, blessing Israel, uh, and how God actually used America um, uh, starting back in the 1890s, or actually before that too, in the 1880s, um, to get behind the movement for what we call the modern state of Israel. It really started with the church here in America in the 1880s, and then we have Israel as a nation as we see it now. And I, I, I don't understand how you can claim to be a Christian and be against Israel because if you look at how the prophecies about it, literal prophecies that hold chapters in the Bible, and there is Israel as God prophesied 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, and that this Israel was to come into place to be a nation before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know when the Lord is returning, but Israel's there, so it, it can't be way, 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 way off in the future. And we see these events now in the Middle East boiling like they are, and whole chapters now of the Bible again are starting to come alive about Syria, about um, Iran. Now, Iran in the Bible is called Persia. And in fact, the name Iran really goes back to about 19, I think it's 35, where they picked up the name Iran, which means Aryan, by the way. And um, uh, Damascus, Syria, uh, the Palestinians, uh, these are all in scriptures, and they're starting to really come alive. Doug, and I'd love to talk to you about one of these topics, uh, Iran or uh, or um, uh, Damascus now in Syria. Well, yeah, uh, let's get in. Let's do this, John. Uh, we since Donald Trump has come into office, we've seen a number of things. Uh, you know, the uh, between America and Israel uh, seem to get a lot better compared to what we had under the previous Obama administration. And one of those things is the moving of the embassy and recognizing. Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. What else do you, I mean, how do you, uh, articulate what we're seeing with Donald Trump as far as, uh, Israel and biblical prophecy is concerned versus any other president? Well, uh, it's very interesting because I believe that, um, Donald Trump was like supernaturally elected. Uh, my, my prayer all along, and I, I felt that this was of God, was uh, one of the things was uh, with Israel, and and God it, God needed um, God stills working amongst nations. In the future, He's going to work directly with Israel. The world is going to see God, uh, and not see Him with their eyes, but see His hand, like like during the Exodus. That's how it will be in the future with Israel. But right now, He's been using Gentile nations. And I felt that he was going to use the United States, uh, still, um, he was going to use us in events coming up with Israel. So he was elected, I mean, out of nowhere. Very, my daughter called me at one in the morning when, finally when Pennsylvania was declared, um, for, for Trump and he won. We live, I live, well, of course all of us live in Pennsylvania. How did you know that? How did you know? She called me up. How did you know? I said, the Spirit of the Lord told me 
he, and he was going to back Israel tremendously. So what did he do? He reversed everything Obama was doing. He has a tremendous secretary uh, of state now um, who was a tremendous supporter of Israel. Um, and, you know, and, uh, there's all the politics. People mightn't like other politics about it, and I'm specifically talking about Israel. We've got um, John Bolton, who is tremendous with Israel. We have Nikki Haley, who is uh, tremendous with uh, Israel, and uh, Vice President Pence. So the nucleus of our government now is um, very, very supportive of Israel, and that's 180 degrees of um, of Obama and what he tried to do. Yeah. So God's got his pe- people in place. He's got his people in place. Yes, he does, and it is, uh, like I said, a complete reversal from what we saw under the Obama administration and going right into, I guess, the topic of the day, the terminating of the Iran deal. What does this, uh, how does this look after we, we see that Iran's angry and upset? Do you think that we're going to see any reaction? We, we were talking about reports of, uh, irregular activity of Iranian military causing, uh, bomb shelters in the Golan Heights and uh, elsewhere to open up. How do you think this is going to impact the, uh, Middle East in the near future? Well, I'll tell you, every day I study the Middle East. Uh, I have a blog, John McTurnan's Insights, my Facebook page, John McTurnan's Insights. It is so complicated, so convoluted. Right now, we have Israel and Saudi Arabia, like, becoming best buddies. Uh, it's amazing. Who would ever think that two years ago, three years ago? But everything's starting to align, uh, re- realign itself. Um, Turkey, I don't see how Turkey can stay in NATO, the way it's acting and what it's doing. Um, we, we have um, uh, Iraq now virtually being a uh, vassal of uh, Iran. Iran is uh, moving to take over Syria almost in a sense it has already taken it over, but Iran wants to move its military, hundreds of thousands of troops, and they want to move them into Israel to attack Israel. There's no doubt about that. And on your on your blog, by the way, not that I have to tell you, uh, but two hundred missiles destroyed in Syria were meant to strike Israel. Just kind of throwing that in there, based on on your investigative research and, and findings here. Yes. Um, so there you go. Yeah. So Iran is in a real tough spot right now because Israel has laid it out as clear as can be. It's it's a de facto war right now with Iran. Israel has said, we're going to attack your positions in Syria. They told Syria, they told Assad of Syria, if Iran shoots missiles at Israel from Syria, we're taking you out. And they've told Lebanon, because Lebanon has virtually been taken over by Hezbollah now, literally taken over by it. And uh, they've told uh, Lebanon, we're going to obliterate you that you can never rise up against us in a war, that this coming war, we're going to, we're not going to listen to the UN, ceasefire and all that. We are going all the way. So Iran knows this. This is not going to be a little sniping war back and forth. Israel has told Iran that if you shoot missiles into Israel, we're coming to Tehran after you. So this is big, this is big time news. I mean, we're talking about missiles flying. Uh, we're talking about very sophisticated weaponry. Um, Israel is a, a tremendous power. Iran is very large, and it's in it's got an enormous army, and it's linked up with Iraq now, and it could draw all sorts of um, 
Shiite. Right now, it's Shiite. Shiite fighters to come uh, into Israel. Uh, it's estimated Iran has about 80,000, uh, I guess you'll call it Iranian militia in there right now. A lot of them, or oh, there's a, there's a Shiite population in Pakistan and in, uh, in, in, in Afghanistan. Not large, but Iran has been drawing out of them as like mercenaries and bringing them into Syria to fight. So Iran already has a, an army of about 80,000 there. They're pre, they're trying to pre-position missiles, tanks, and all of this to have it all set up so that when their army pours in, they'll have all the equipment to attack Israel. So that's boiling. I mean, Israel is, tomorrow we could wake up and hear that Iran and, and Israel are in a full-scale war, but what Trump has done, he has really put Iran in a box because, um, uh, they were supposed to be getting money a part of this, um, I think it was a huge amount of money too. I, another 150 billion, I think, real soon. And, and there, the president is talking about immediately putting sanctions on Iran. Uh, yeah, their economy. And John, I don't, I don't, I apologize for interrupting, but. No, that's uh, quite right. Okay. Um, this is something that I really had to wrap my head around and, and Joe and I and, Eric Attack, we had a conversation before the show began. Last night, um, you're, you're kind of referencing right now the Iran deal, I guess, or yes. making reference to that. Here's, here's something that, that I think is the biggest unreported story or aspect of this story that no one is talking about. Greg Hunter from USA Watchdog came on our program last night. We replayed the segment right before you coming on to lay the foundation for your appearance. But I did not know this. I don't know why I didn't know this. And, and uh, no one's reporting this, but that the so-called Iran deal was never signed by Iran. Okay. It, I, you see where I'm being stymied here? So yes. how, how, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Did, did you know that? I, I mean, did you know that? I, I, I didn't. I, I knew it more on our end. No, I wasn't fully aware of that about the Iranian end. But on our end, what is it? Right. What is it from our end? If you're asking me, I don't know. Because, and yeah, it doesn't make sense. I, wow. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And all of a sudden we have plane loads. What was it, like a, a billion, eight hundred million dollars flown in? It, it was at least half my annual salary. Half uh, <laughs> annual salary. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I, anyways, it's, the whole thing is bizarre. It's, it's Obama wanted to do this no matter what. He wanted to do this in the worst way. So now that the president has done this, Iran is in a big mess because Israel is already at war with Iran, really. Yeah. Israel is blown up, like you mentioned, those 200 missiles. Those were Iranian missiles that were pre-positioned in um, Syria. And Iran, uh, Israel hit them the same day uh, President Trump blew up the, um, the uh, chemical factories in Syria. And when when Israel hit that uh, those prepositioned missiles, the the people that were eyewitnesses thought it was a nuclear explosion, and it and it the explosions went off for like two hours. So uh, this is you know Israel is not going to wait to be attacked. Now what what the president did, the Iranian economy is a basket case. Iran is way too far extended. You know don't forget Iran is involved in Yemen. And it's, uh, it, they're shooting missiles from, Ye- Iranian missiles from Yemen at Saudi Arabia at Rihad. 
Iran is involved in Iraq. Iran is involved in Lebanon. Iran is involved in Syria. Their economy can't hold this. It's very fragile. Inflation now is running away. Their their money is worth nothing. So if, if President Trump puts these sanctions on, it could be driving Iran into the ground like the North Korean economy. And it, North, Iran can't really sustain a war now. So Iran is in a bad position because Israel is like, it's like a pit bull saying, I'm, we're coming for you. Shoot a missile. We're coming. And now we're in, like in the back door cutting off, uh, we're going to be cutting off their economy where they're going to be left with not being able to, uh, finance a war. And, uh, you're right. The, uh, Washington Times is reporting that by quitting the Obama brokered agreement, Mr. Trump triggered renewed economic sanctions that had been waived under the deal and promised new, tougher sanctions against Tehran. So that is something that is definitely going to be impacting them uh, when they thought that they were going to, you know, see the other side of that. But you mentioned the alliance between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Is this a, I guess a long, in your mind, is this a long-term alliance or is this more of a, a survival partnership for Saudi Arabia to fight off Iran? Yeah, so it's it's survival. It's, it's survival. I mean, I don't think the Saudi Arabians have woken up and said, wow, we love, uh, the Jews and we love Israel. No, uh, it's, it's purely for survival. And one thing, uh, keep in mind, um, with geography, if you look on a map of the Persian Gulf, Iran is directly across from the Persian Gulf from, from Saudi Arabia. But if you look north, Iran wraps up around the top of the Persian Gulf and over towards the west where it butts up against uh, Iraq, but the, the Iraq is only about 30 miles wide there where the Euphrates River comes into the Persian Gulf. On the other side is Kuwait. So with Iraq really falling now to to um, Iran, uh, all, all, all is that between uh, Saudi Arabia and the, and the Iranian army is Kuwait, and not even that because Iraq borders on Kuwait. So, like in one day, um, Iran could have its army in Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia would not be able to withstand the Iranian army. So, Saudi Arabia is terrified of Iran, and there is bad blood between Saudi Arabia, which leads the Sunni Muslims, which are about 80-85%, and Iran, which is Shiite, and Iran about 15 to 20 percent, and they're all centered around Iran. A little bit in Pakistan, Shiites, a little bit in Afghanistan, substantial in uh, Iraq, some in Kuwait, some in uh, Saudi and uh, uh, Syria. Uh, but that's where they're centered, and they're fighting. Iran wants to lead Islam, and Iran has uh, what they call the belief, the Twelvers, the Twelvers. And these are the um, the people that are that are real believers about the coming Mahdi, and he is going to be a military figure that's going to bring all the Muslims to convert to Shiite Islam, and then he's going to they're going to conquer the world, they're going to destroy the great Satan, which is America, they're going to destroy the little Satan, which is Israel, and Shiite Islam is going to conquer the world, and they're going to usher in the second coming. Of Jesus Christ uh, to Damascus. That's what that's what their belief is. So these are religious. I'm going to use the term fanatics. 
and you can't reason with them. And that's the problem with the West. That's a problem with Obama and Kerry. Um, it's like trying to reason with Hitler. Hitler will do anything, any agreement to benefit himself, which he did. And then when he benefited himself and he was ready, he went to war. Uh, that's what the Iranians will do. They are, they believe in the coming of the Mahdi and there's going to be a world war and he's going to lead these Sunni Muslims to conquer the world. So they're, they've got this religious fever that, um, how, you can't deal with it in any normal, rational way, Doug. Okay, I, I got a question for you. Given today's events, what is the downside? Uh, playing, I, as, I don't like the phrase devil's advocate, but looking at this, what's the downside for us and for Israel given the events of the very historic events of today? Well, there's an 800-pound gorilla in there that we can't overlook and that's Russia uh, Russia is an ally of Iran Russia is an ally of um, of Syria uh, Iran has built, been built up by Russia right? they built the uh, nuclear reactor there in uh, Basha um, I, mean, I forget the pronunciation but but that's right off the Persian, Persian uh, Gulf there Um and Russia is there to stay. Russia wants to establish, it wants to muscle in, it wants to be, wants sort of to revive the old uh, Soviet empire. And how far will Russia let this go? I mean, there's already been tremendous words between um, Israel and the Russians, between um, Netanyahu and Putin. Putin says that um, he's going to stop any more attacks in Syria, and they're going to, he's going to bring in the S-300 the Russian top anti-missile, anti-plane air defense. Israel said, if you fire upon us, we're going to fire back and we're going to blow up your positions, which means killing Russians. So um, this is really dangerous. This is a dangerous, dangerous situation. The same thing with Israel attacking Iran. Um, I, I, Doug, did you hear about um, Israel flying um, their F-35s? Undetected all over Iran. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You see, so <laughs> Israel can fly over there and bomb Iran. Then Iran can't do anything about it. So the big player in this is uh, Russia. What is Russia going to do? And of course, we're there. So it, it, it's not too far of a stretch of imagination where Russia and uh, us and Israel we can end up tangling there in the air, missiles flying. The Russians have their fleet right off Syria uh, with submarines and cruisers and all of that. So all the potential for a major, major conflict is sitting right there in Syria. And, of course, that's what the Bible talks about. So, John, let me ask you this. We know that there's been a what they call a Syrian civil war uh, for years now. Is the outcome going to be any different if Assad's there versus uh, if Assad's not there and even though he's still alive is he even in con- I mean is he still in control uh, what, no, no. how's that going to play out I think no the Syrian army and that's a dead man walking no no Iran is in control no okay. it's the, Sir- the Syrian army has been drained I mean that that war has just um, drained their army okay. really down, down it, to, not too much so, so j- just to be clear your analysis Syria. Uh, by the way, 
the people who say that Syria experiences civil war, to me, I, I think that's so disingenuous. Syria, yeah. And, and John, you're the expert, though. You tell me if I'm wrong. This was not a Syria, uh, civil war. This was a war that was caused by external influence, uh, by, by basically intelligence agencies, primarily from the West. And, and I got to toss in Israel too. I mean, in this case, um, to, to destabilize the Assad regime, but on behalf of of who? I mean. But you're okay, and, and you're saying, but Iran is in essentially is in de facto control of right. Syria, right? Right. Yeah. No, not all of Syria. Not okay. all of Syria. All right. Syria is is in like Turkey has a chunk of Syria in the north. The Kurds have a chunk of Syria. Um, then there's other groups. I mean, Syria is a convoluted mess. Um, I, I could tell you something right now. In a week or two, it's complete. It's not completely, but it's much different than what mm. I'm telling you now. Here's what happened with Syria, and you can really kind of lay this at the feet of Obama. Um, when Iraq fell, it left a big void, and um, uh, Bush was right and the generals were right. They told Obama uh, not to pull out, but he had set a date. He pulled out, and what happened, what we know is ISIS uh, took up shop in uh, Iraq and Syria because of the um the uh, chaos in Syria and they built up ISIS and Obama was told by our intelligence was watching ISIS grow day by day week by week month by month and he refused to nothing they referred to them watching, as the JV watching or facilitating under Obama see now that's a good question it, it, it's very possible that yes he was helping them grow and that sounds Really bad, but look folks, um, Obama was 100% behind the Muslim Brotherhood. 100%. When the Muslim Brotherhood overthrew Egypt there, he was elated. When the arm, when the Egyptian army threw the Muslim Brotherhood out, uh, he actually like almost cut relations off with Syria. Um, Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State, not with Syria, with Egypt. They wouldn't help, they wouldn't help the Syrian army stabilize the country to get rid of the Muslim Brotherhood. Hillary Clinton, Obama loved the Muslim Brotherhood. They had him in the White House. They had him in the, uh, in, uh, the State Department. Obama had pointed some of them. The Muslim Brotherhood were bragging that we had people in the Obama government. Um, Obama loves whatever radical, hardcore Muslim groups are there. He loves and supports so he, on one hand, he's supporting the Muslim Brotherhood, which, of course, they're all tied together. The Muslim Brotherhood, ISIS, they're kind of factions of the same thing. And he loves Iran. He, he created this. I, I can't figure the, the man out. He, it's like the everything that's evil to the core, he wants to support. So he's supporting the Muslim Brotherhood in um, in, in, in uh, Egypt, and he's supporting ISIS in Syria and Iraq, you watch them grow. Our intelligence says you got to take them out. He wouldn't. And then Hillary Clinton comes along and, and kill, has, um, Gaddafi removed in Syria. Gaddafi wasn't a Boy Scout, but he gave up his nuclear weapons, the building of his nuclear weapons to be kind of like, okay, accepted by the West. Um, she was praising him like six months before. All of a sudden, now he's Hitler and all this. And they're supporting these uh, radical groups. 
They overthrow uh, Gaddafi. And now, slowly but surely, Libya is working to be like a Muslim Brotherhood state. Syria, um, Egypt is really concerned about what's going on in Libya because they're afraid of those terrorists there coming across the border and, and, and working again to support the Muslim Brotherhood inside of Egypt. So how do you figure, how do you calculate what Hillary Clinton did? That was her baby. They didn't even have a plan B. All they wanted to do was kill Gaddafi, the Muslim Spring. The Muslim Spring was to bring in these terrorist groups. But, 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 but Libya, uh, John, and, and as, as we've discussed this before, and, and as my intelligence contacts have told me, Libya, the, the, the taking down of Gaddafi, who, whose sons, by the way, were cooperating with Western intelligence, providing a lot of information yes. about the terrorists. Yes. And of course, about the oil and the, and the, uh, the oil and the, and the gold. But that Benghazi, of course, was a staging area for the guns and, or for the weapons and personnel to, uh, or to, uh, uh, Jordan, Turkey, and ultimately for Syria to destabilize Syria. So it was a jumping point for, for the Syrian issue or the Syrian war. So, wow. Right, right. Uh, it is so convoluted, but uh, so intertwined. But from my experience, um, and look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm up front when I tell you this. I have no, I, I no love for Obama at all in any area. But if you think the worst about him, it all fits. If you think that he hates America and he wants, uh, terrorist groups to, to, to be strong and to grow up, uh, you know, to be powerful and overthrow nations, well, then it per- his, what he did perfectly fits. It perfectly fits. How can he on one hand support the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt against a decent government, you could say, compared to what's available? Uh, overthrow Libya, and then support Iran. It does not make sense. And then watch, watch ISIS grow. Watch ISIS grow in Iraq. Watch ISIS grow in Syria. The generals are telling him, you gotta take them out. You gotta take them out. He's getting all this true information about what's happening. What does he do? He does nothing and lets this monster grow. And we all know what they did. All the killings and murders and rapes and beheading people. Little, little Babies, four years old, they were chopping their heads off because they were uh, infidel kids and all. He watched it grow. And then then he sends, he works this deal out with Iran where after six years, they can, or eight years, they, they're on a path to build a nuclear weapon. And up front, we, we did give them $150 billion. What happened was when they overthrew the Shah of Iran and they um, took our embassy in Tehran, we froze their assets here in America. That's that was the result of um, of what happened with in, right. in 1979. Right. right. 79. Yep. Right. So it's convoluted now, and Trump is trying to straighten out what our policy was there under Obama. You know, and, and Bush, I can't say too much good things about him either, but he's trying to straighten out what happened there because if Iran gets nuclear weapons. They're working on long-range intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those missiles are not for Israel. You know, Israel's about 700 miles. They could fire them. I think it's about 700. Yeah, you, you can get the sure. softball missiles over there. You're, you're yeah. talking about intercontinental. Yeah, just, intercontinental yeah, ballistic yeah. missiles. Who are they going to use them against? The great Satan, us. Right. Us. 
man, what a cluster, you know what, this is. Um, convoluted, and, and no disrespect by, by that phrase, but it, 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 it certainly, um, uh, how this all evolved to where we are now, and then seeing President Donald Trump, uh, doing what he's done with Iran in, in at the same time, or, or I don't want to say concurrently, but, but in the wake of his decision or his allowance, uh, or whatever you want to call it, of moving the embassy, American embassy to Jerusalem. Wow. All of this and, and how you've written and, and the folks, um, John's a great writer. In fact, if you can put the lower third up there for his, uh, um, uh, website, us, I'm sorry, USA prophecy, USA prophecy. Yeah. USA prophecy.com. Right. And in his books, fascinating reads. So you've been ahead of the, the, the curve as much as it was possible with your intellectual work product in your books and, and in your writings. So, um, well, but so, okay. So we're dealing with, uh, the flashpoint in Jerusalem because of the embassy move, which should have, which should have happened immediately. By that, I mean, you know, can you really even blame violence on that though? I mean, no, no I, well, you, no, we can't. I mean, not, not, not genuinely, but, no. but that and then, than with what happened today, very historic measures. So, okay, now that I've wasted your time just now in that recap, I'm just trying to get a handle on this because, again, as you said, this is pretty complex. Well, that that with the conflicts, where are we going, I guess? What is this in anticipation of? Where is this heading to? Well, it's amazing when it comes down to Jerusalem because um, I can categorically say that Jerusalem was never the capital of any type of um, Palestinian or Arab state uh, going back into history. It, the capital was Damascus. Damascus was the capital. That was the headquarters, the Ottoman Empire. And all it was Damascus. Um, the, the, uh, the Muslims didn't care about Jerusalem really until the Jews came back. And all of a sudden it was their third most holiest site. Well, Mohammed was never in Jerusalem. Um, he died before um, the Jerusalem was conquered uh, by well, the, 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 the army that followed him. So this is all really made up. Uh, it's done for political purpose purposes, and the, the the Muslims feel through through Islam that the it, there's a great danger because of the Dome of the Rock. That um, it, this 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 is religious. This is religious because. They don't want the Jews to have any authority there because that makes them feel that the God of Israel is equal to Allah. This is, this is very serious. That's why you'll, you'll hear them say, we want a, a jihad and they'll, like a, from the, um, Alexa mosque, they're calling for the, um, caliphate to come to liberate Jerusalem because of the oppressors, well, and, and the, the, and their, the great danger to the Alaska Mosque. Israel has no intention of doing anything to the Alaska Mosque. And the Muslims are basically in control of it. Um, there's some problems when, when, uh, they, they start rioting up on the, uh, on the uh, Temple Mount there. Israel has to control it. But what it is, is they, um, they're threatened by this holy site. Oh, that was that belonged to Israel at one time with the Jews at one time. They're back, and that's a danger to them equating 
power to the God of Israel with their Allah. So that's what, that's basically what this is all about. Uh, it's a power struggle over whose God is, has more authority, uh, over the Temple Mount because they know how sacred it was to Israel and how important it was. So that is the major issue now. And right now, I don't know how this is going to play out, but in Gaza, uh, the uh, Hamas has been calling for a hundred thousand uh, Palestinians to, on May uh, May fourteenth. Now uh, they've already been rioting there, and there have been several hundred Palis, uh, Palestinians killed and uh, I think a few thousand wounded, trying to break through the gate, the fence there between uh, uh, Gaza and Israel. They want to break 100,000 through, mingled with all sorts of terrorists, and their goal is Jerusalem. So this is, this is they've been already rioting over it. Israel's very concerned about this. I don't know if you're aware of this, Doug, but right now what the Palestinians are doing in Gaza is they're putting kites up in the air, and they ignite them, and then let the wind take them over into Israel. They've been setting fires all over um, that area in Israel there, and I think a couple houses have burned already. But they're doing everything they can. They've, fired, they've burnt a massive amount of tires uh, into the thousands, trying to melt the fence down. They're putting them up against the fence, trying to melt them down. This is so you'll hear on CNN. <laughs> if, you go to my, if you go to my blog, you'll get it. And... Uh, yeah, I think I'm posting something. Uh, I don't know if I posted it yet, but I will be about those fires uh, in Israel. Okay. Uh, so we have the tension now with Syria and Iran and Syria. And what I'm I'm not making any type of prediction or anything. I'm just saying we it could be very possible uh, next week where the hundred thousand uh, Palestinians try to break through the fence and go to Jerusalem. And Iran and Syria and maybe Hezbollah would uh, coordinate an attack on Israel. It, so it's, wow. it's very possible next week you could see a coordination of an attack again on Israel. And, and, and when you say next week, you're saying that because of, again, the events of today and the, the events that have been ongoing leading up through and including today, right? Well, because of the embassy, right, and it's okay. the 70th anniversary right. of the nation of Israel. Okay. So that's why I'm talking about. Plus, it's already set for the hundred thousand Palestinians to try and break through the fence and go to Israel. They want to go to Jerusalem, and the terrorists will be mingled amongst them. What will be Israel's response, in your estimation, to, to that attempted invasion? It, it, Israel's going to have to do everything it can to contain the, uh, we'll say the civilian Palestinians because it's a nightmare if you have soldiers shooting unarmed civilians, which yeah. of course the uh, Palestinians want. Right. Palestinians the want that. Yeah. But it, they can't, it's very hard to distinguish terrorists from, um, from civilians. Well, you know, the optics of Israel, the Israeli soldiers shooting Palestinians who are throwing rocks and the outrage, well, these are unarmed people. It's, it's just really uh, being portrayed, I think, uh, improperly in the media. And well, I, you know. Yeah, and I, I want to just explain how this came about in Gaza. In 2006, um, Israel pulled out 
of Gaza, and they had fantastic greenhouses there. The greenhouses, I don't want to exaggerate, but they looked like they were a mile long, just row after row of them. And tremendous food was being grown there, and the Israelis pulled out, and the Palestinians took over. They destroyed all those greenhouses. They destroyed the, the towns that Israel had built. And the Israels gave them like hospitals, gave them stores and, you know, and homes and all. It was all destroyed. And then they voted Hamas in. And as soon as Hamas was in, Hamas began to fire these rockets into Israel. So the Israelis have done really everything they could with, uh, with Gaza. They said, here, we're turning this over to you where you've got your, you like your independence. We've, you've got these great greenhouses whole towns there that we built for, with little hospitals in it and uh, stores and all of that. They destroyed it all and then they elected Hamas. And Hamas, I think it's Article 7 of their covenant, yeah, I think it's Article 7, calls for the utter destruction of Israel and all the Jews and that Hamas will not in any way uh, go into any treaty with Israel that Hamas exists to destroy Israel. So the people of Gaza elected Hamas. So Israel is in a death struggle with Hamas. This isn't like some little power struggle. This is like a life and death struggle. And Israel tried to accommodate and tried to set up like a working relationship with the Palestinians there, but they elected Hamas. So Israel has no choice but to be at war with them. And, and John, if you can, maybe uh, you can clarify this a little bit for me. Hezbollah versus Hamas. Who is the primary backer of Hezbollah versus Hamas? What's the difference of the two? And we only have about uh, four minutes left. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, this is the convoluted mess <laughs> in the Middle East. Hezbollah was put there in 19... As soon as Ayatollah Khomeini came to power in Iran, one of the first things he did was he transplanted... Uh, Shiite Muslims from Iran into southern Lebanon for the express purpose of having a front against Israel. Uh, Hamas are not native uh, Lebanese. They are from Iran. They're Shiites. Lebanon is primarily a Christian Sunni nation. Now, the Christians have left in huge numbers, so there's not, not that many left, but it's Sunni but Hamas is like taken over. So Hamas is growing, but Hamas is Shiite Muslims directly connected with Iran. Okay. Now, Hamas is Sunni, and Hamas was getting weapons from like Kuwait and Qatar and countries like that. They were supporting them with a lot of, a lot of funds and weapons, and they would smuggle them in. But lately, uh, Hamas is apparently linked up with Iran. And the Shiites of Iran and the Sunnis of Hamas have kind of like dropped their differences for their common enemy, Israel. So traditionally, uh, Hamas was supported by Gulf, the rich Gulf nations, probably even Saudi Arabia. And uh, right now, it looks like it's shifted to um, uh, Iran. So Iran is supplying and is the power behind Hezbollah, and now it's apparently the power behind Hamas. Well, thanks for uh, uh, the insight on that. Because I was just even asking my dad uh, off air what, what the difference was or whatever. But that does clarify things. And, um, you know, we continue to see this 
conflict arising, and it's not going to be settled overnight, and uh, it's, it's going, it seems, in the direction of war. Uh, last question, John, and then we got about two minutes left. Is this conflict, do you believe, going to lead to a U.S. involvement in a World War III type scenario, or is this just the you know foundational uh, of something else? Well, I, I do believe that we are heading towards a World War III scenario. I mean, you got Russia uh, who, who wants to revive the Soviet Empire. You've got Turkey that wants to revive the Ottoman Empire. You've got uh, Iran that wants to revive the Persian Empire. You've got China. China is not building this massive military to look at. They're building it to use it, and they they want to dominate Asia. And the, we're in the way. We're in the way. So somewhere along the line, this is going to erupt, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be World War Three, but not Armageddon. This will not be Armageddon. This and, and is going to be a, hor- a very, horrific war. Very important distinction too, for for uh, people who are studying current events and Bible prophecy, uh, folks. I cannot recommend highly, any more highly than uh, John McTurnan's book, uh, as America has done to Israel. Right. I, I, I want to get that right. Is America yeah, has done to that's Israel? It. Thank okay. You. Thank you. Um, wow, it, it's it's an incredible read, and of course you've got a DVD series as well. America's fatal mistake, folks. You can go to John McTernan's websites, which are um, is your your main site is USA Prophecy, correct? Uh, right. Okay. USA Prophecy dot com dot com, and and then from there, your your uh, child, uh, uh, your your other websites, including the books. And the blog. So I would highly recommend John McTernan's work. As always, making sense out of a very difficult topic, but you're right on the money. Please, we're going to have to uh, have more of you come back more often because as this develops and unfolds, man, um, we need to discuss this and you can make sense of this. I want to thank And it's you. hard, it's hard to follow, Doug. It's convoluted. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's trying it sure to straighten is. it out. Okay. Well, God bless you and your, uh, and have a good program tonight. Uh, all right. Okay. God bless. All right, man. Thanks, John. All right. Uh, when we come back, Standeo will be our guest. Standeo.com is the website. From there, you can get to the show images page and see what Stan has put up as far as what we're going to cover tonight. So when we come back, Stan will be with us for the last hour. So don't go anywhere. Seventeen, or 2017, 2018, sorry about that. Standeo is going to be our guest. He's going to be on with us. And go to standeo.com, bookmark the site, because Holly does a great job each and every day of putting uh, the most important news And you even got the name of the show wrong. It's Hagelman Report. What did I say? Hagelman Daily Show. It's I'm sorry. Report. I'm all over the place here. I was uh, reading something on 
prophecy in Israel. We were discussing something about the land and what it says in prophecy there. So I was, my head was, was out of this. Welcome back to the Hagman Report. Stan Deo is our guest, standeo.com. Go to the show images page on the right-hand side of the website under the YouTube button and click on the Hagman Report, and there you can see the images Stan compiled for the show. Stan, it's great to have you on. We don't have him yet. I should have... Uh, should have known that. I got no thumbs up signal. See, uh, I, I I said go ahead and bring us in, and you know, mm-hmm. it's just like 2017, wrong show, yeah, wrong yeah. year, wrong place. Where am I? Sorry about but, that. But uh, see, this is the beauty of what we do. It, it's we just we we're just doing our best. That's all. Um, really, when it comes down to it, we're 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 just doing what we do. Um, by the way, John McTiernan, uh, the when you really get down and study his work now. Trying to encapsulate the 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 entire scene in the run up to where we are today. See, one of the things I think the problem where we have a problem is we think that we we think in terms of just today or just this year or just the past couple of years. We don't we don't look back to like 1979. We don't look back to the 70s. We don't look back at the Carter years. When he was involved in in the uh, peace agreements, the peace accords, and how that's that that was responsible for, you know that that was like point A, and point B, and point C, and and now we're already up to you know the double alphabet at this point, in the long period of history prior to current you know our current age, and, and how Israel of course is in the Bible, God's timepiece. So I, I, th- I think when you try to cram all that into an hour and, and really lay the foundations of what's taking place. And by the way, I just can't believe, I was looking at the different forums, and I can't believe how many people believe that, um, erroneously, that we are in violation of United Nations treaties. And, what, because uh, of the Iran? Yeah, because of which. Really, when you, which is why, again, which is why that, that Greg, uh, Greg Hunter segment to me was so important because none ever existed. And once you understand that in the current scheme of things, then you've got a better understanding and, and a better way to say, wait a minute, what are you saying? Because there was, first of all, it's not a treaty, and second of all, it was never signed, so. Well, it wasn't a treaty anyway. Exactly. The never, right, right. But the agreement. And what kind of agreement was it? So, now hopefully, when we have Stan on, he'll explain, uh, perhaps from the Saudi viewpoint of, of how things are, uh, and how this is going to be set up. Because, you know, his, his research on, on the Saudi, uh, power structure there in the Middle East and the biblical prophetic implications that he's talked about in the past. So, anyway, it's, it's, uh, wow, all of this is just, it, it's, it's an amazing time to be alive. And it is. And, and just real quick, yeah. uh, don't pay attention. If anybody saw the front headline on Drudge, Cohen paid $500,000 <laughs> from oligarch after election. If you read that article, this is just a bogus story. Uh, there's so many contradictions in the own story. The guy doesn't offer any proof for what he's claiming, and then it even goes on to say that the company that they're alleging the money came from is run by Americans, not even the guy who this person's claiming no, is run by. I so, saw that, and I just wonder... Wh- wh- even its own article tears it apart itself. I, I mean, if you... Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, Stan Deo is our guest. We have the Iran deal going on. We have the volcano 
uh, going off in Hawaii that we really didn't talk about. And the Re- remember that there was activity. one that, that happened in 1990 in Hawaii. I don't know. Okay, 1990, there was some pretty significant volcanic activity in, in the in the in the state of Hawaii. So we're not saying anything necessarily. That hasn't happened before, and, and don't forget Hawaii. What was it formed? The, the state of Hawaii was formed by volcanic activity, anyway. Uh, yes, I'm not trying was. to downplay that. I'm not trying to downplay anything because I, boy, that would really. I mean, imagine you know you're in your living room and you see lava coming up through your floor, and, and it, boy, that would really screw up your day, wouldn't it? Uh, Some of those videos are bad too. If you see those taken in cars and uh, crushing yeah. houses and burning down houses, but Stan. What do you think about the uh, volcanic activity in in Hawaii and the earthquake activity that is surrounding it? Because I've seen a lot of earthquakes um, in yeah, that area. Yeah, a lot of earthquakes, but you know, there's a there's a good side to the magma, you know, coming up through your floor. If you put some spacers down there, you could uh, when it cools off, you could have uh, lava tile floors. <laughs> there you oh, go. Man. Smooth it out. <laughs> okay, just being silly. Yeah, um, okay, on the show images page, if you'll have a look at image 47, that's a, uh, a close-up uh, on uh, Google Earth of the mm, the big island where Kilauea is. And you can see all those earthquakes. I think it's a huge number of them. Let me just get over here onto the same page with you guys here. Um, there we go. Wow. That, yeah, yesterday that's I think significant. it's a, it was like a if you zoomed into this area, it had you know 403 earthquakes out of 706 uh, on the whole map. Yeah, there are a few thousand at the moment. <clears throat> now, oh, wow. it's interesting. You're looking at this. You're looking at the proper you know alignment. North south is up and down. Um, and there's the main crater, kind of in that brown area. There is kind of doing nothing. The earthquakes are on the edge of the, the southeast end of the island and um, they are going out to sea and forming kind of a pincer movement out there. Now for years I've been studying you know plate tectonics, I've been studying you know the causes for the continents uh, zipping apart rather than just kind of gradually moving like you know continental drift like they talk about. That's I, I don't believe it. it's catastrophic. And one of the things that does help us to see that is if we go to the next image, 48, progression of the islands of Hawaii. And look at the top image, which is a, a wide view of Hawaii. And Hawaii, of course, is the area where all those little red and orange and yellow earthquake things are all mushed together there on Kilauea. But look up to the upper left. There's a trail of islands that were created. And the official explanation, which I, I, I think is probably pretty accurate, is that there was a magma upwelling uh, right into the mantle, but the mantle started to move. The surface, you know, the seabed and everything moved for some reason, and it left a trail of island wannabes. In the left going down to the lower right, you see gradually they started to be big enough that they punched up above sea level. Now, I think the reason for this is that as the mantle was moving on the upper left in the beginning, it was moving rapidly. Then it started to slow down, which allowed the magma upwelling to form more of an island before the mantle moved a little bit further on. You can just see, um, you know, uh, the space between the islands. It's as it moved, and then it blocked the, the flow, and then it uh, 
allowed it to go again as the mantle stayed stationary for a while. And we are to where we are now. Now, if you just take that image and, and, and scoot it up to the second image, we're a little bit closer now, and look at the seabed. Look at the formations there. You can see that what's above the water is, as we start at the upper left where, uh, where the first island appears, <coughs> the, the island is almost as big as the subterranean portion, maybe half as big. But as we move further to the right, uh, there are varying degrees of more of it being under the ocean, under the surface of the ocean, than above land. And then we get down to where we are now on the big island. So scoot on down to the last image, and you'll see here that I think what is happening is that we're going through another stage where it's going to probably put either a floor uh, just underneath the seabed, uh, or, or sea level, a floor of magma cooling, which will extend underwater the big island to the kind of southeast, you know, the lower right-hand corner of the uh, image here. Now, it could fool us. It could go ahead and blast up another chunk of um, land above sea level. If it's um, hung like it is now, then it means that we're going to see more magma pushing up and forming landmass underneath and above possibly the sea uh, surface there. This is why I find it so interesting. It, it, we're watching the development of another extension of an island in the Hawaiian chain or another island in the Hawaiian chain. Now, if it's starting another island, I think it will join to the big island we've got already because things are moving so slow in the crust. You know, the mantle stopped uh, moving so much. And we might see that uh, real estate starts to appear in the big island. So buying seabed to the southeast of uh, the big island, Kilauea there, um, you know, maybe that's a good investment. You'll have property in a hundred years or so that's cool magma, and you can start growing stuff on it. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Imagine that. The growth of a state. Uh, literal. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's just interesting to look at these things uh, and forget timing, you know, hundreds of billions or this or that, because we can argue that. Uh, I, I do it quite uh, frequently about how we really measure time and geological ages, and there's an error there, but uh, in my opinion. Anyway, you see that there. Now go back to um, image 46. Um, definitely there are thousands of earthquakes occurring now, small ones, but we're having an increase in the number of earthquakes in the last week to 30 days around the planet, but uh, a lot of them are in Alaska and the uh, uh, western states of the United States up along the Pacific coast but there are others that are out into the ocean like at Kilauea of course we know that that's from the quakes associated with the magma movement there but you'll see a white arrow also pointing to a, a chain of earthquakes around Richter 4 to 5 in Central America going up into the southwest of uh, the uh, uh, of Mexico and down in Central America, or, or South America, sorry, you'll see in the central portion up there near Peru and Chile, we've got a bunch of earthquakes here, and there's a little white arrow to the left of that out to Easter Island. Um, again, more earthquakes and significant ones out there. Then you look over toward the Philippines, and you see, well, gosh, there's another white arrow, there's another earthquake there. I think we're seeing more activity on the eastern side of the arc of fire, you know, the, sometimes called the ring of fire of the Pacific. We know that eventually this is going to happen, that we're going to have a Richter 9 plus um, up there where that um, arrow is pointing to Oregon up there. You can just see that white arrow pointing to an orange dot there on the Oregon coast. That's at the foot of the Juan de Fuca um, 
uh, plate, and it's building up pressures. It's overdue by 10 to 15 years on, on average. And it, when it releases, it's going to be a Rector 9 plus, according to USGS. It's the only one of the areas under pressure around the whole ring of fire or arc of fire that has not released its pressure buildup in the last hundred years. The the thing that kind of worries me about this is the number of these small earthquakes around that eastern and uh, northeastern side of the ring of fire. It's like when you're breaking a piece of, you know, plastic or you know, it's, it's better to use plastic in the example than glass. But as you bend the plastic and look in the light, you'll see little hairline fractures appear where it's going to pop and break and the, the small cracks before you get the big one and I think we may be seeing a lot of these uh, earthquakes on the eastern side of the Pacific here as precursors you know like the canary effect almost that we're going to see a big one release somewhere and maybe a couple of big ones which isn't a stretch of the imagination if you have a Richter 9 plus you're going to have a couple of other 7s and 8s follow right closely behind it so we need to watch now then Keep an eye on the West Coast for the big one. There'll be more signs if we're right in the next week to two weeks. You'll start to see more of these small earthquakes until all of a sudden it might go quiet and then a big bang. So, so where those arrows are pointing is not necessarily where you can expect a big one. Those are just the indicators that there are uh, there could be uh, more activity coming. Is that right? Right. That's right. Okay. And, you know, um, one of the guys that, uh, one of your listeners wrote to me here. Let me see if I can find his name here. Uh, yeah, Richard. Um, he was saying, look, uh, you know, he, may, he noticed that we had about 3,000 earthquakes in the seven day total for the planet here. And, um, he was saying, look at the Canaries, you know, near, uh, Tenerife there in Spain, where they're in article or slide 49, I talk about there's eruption fears of a, um, uh, volcano there, and that volcano, uh, is south of Cumbre de Vieja. It's, uh, I'm just trying to find it here. If you click the, uh, image 50 and zoom it up, you'll see that Tenerife is there, and they're thinking that there's going to possibly be a, a volcano on that island that's, becomes active again. There you go. You got it on the screen. And that whole cluster of small earthquakes are again precursors. And off to the lower left corner of that, you'll see Valverde, which is another little part of the Canary Islands. And it's directly south of Cumbre de Vieja, you know, uh, La Palma there, where we have that big threat to the east coast of the United States if that whole landmass slides off. It gets shaken and slides off and forms a tsunami heading toward the east coast of the United States. So to see the activity over there, to see them worried about, you know, possibly uh, a volcano appearing somewhere around Tenerife, um, that tells us that, again, we want to watch the East Coast as well as the West Coast for developing earthquake-related events. And then you get in between Tenerife and the East Coast of the United States, a little bit higher along the Atlantic uh, uh, Ridge, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, and you'll see... Uh, that the Azores have a lot of quakes in the last uh, 30 days as well. You can see very active there. All these things point to activity on the planet in a big way, um, earthquake-wise and volcano-wise. I think it's going to get worse. Okay. And uh, 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the what we're seeing in Hawaii. Um, is this, I guess, you know, as my dad said there, this is an island that was built. It is a volcano. Uh, is this damage, is this something that you can expect to see, you know, every so many years? Um, and it, do, would you call this a, a major event or a minimal event? How would you categorize it? Uh, the Kilauea eruption you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, the, yeah. I think it's periodic. Uh, it is working up to um, a rather massive magma flow. I don't think it's the type of volcano usually that uh, blows, you know, like a pyroclastic explosion and blows debris hundreds of miles and that kind of stuff. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think we're going to see increased magma amounts, you know, kind of drool out of the top of that thing and cool and make more landmass. What was it, 50 years ago and 25 years ago, I think, that we had uh, magma flows like this there. I certainly wouldn't want to be buying property in the area for a while. I'll give it time to grow and cool before I look at property in Hawaii. Uh, That's interesting, too. At slide 56, you can see that uh, uh, sulfur dioxide is being produced. If you click on the big picture of that slide 56, uh, from April the 30th to May the 5th, it's showing the amount of sulfur dioxide that's being emitted by the magma flow. Now, this isn't... uh, you know, hydrogen sulfide is not cow gas or anything else or methane, but it is uh, a sulfurous type gas. Um, that's the same kind of gas that they use, you know, for your fruit and veggies when they want to preserve them and make them look nice when, when they're traveling to your grocery shelf and so that they don't look all rotten and terrible. They, they bathe them in sulfur dioxide. Now, sulfur dioxide, if you breathe it, and that's certainly what was going to happen to people in that area, whether they're near the magma or not, the sulfur dioxide will give you uh, burns in your throat, your nose, and your lungs, and it can be fatal. But it's also adding to the greenhouse gas effect by nature. We didn't make that volcano happen. That's it's doing its own thing. It's another kind of arrow in the in the death of the uh, man-made global warming argument. Sulfur dioxide. Underneath that, there's uh, another chart. Um, on that article that says uh, sulfur dioxide at Kilauea, Dobson units, and it has an arrow that points to hours before the May 3rd eruption that shows a higher level level of sulfur dioxide. Are those high levels or fluctuations to those high levels normal in a place that is a volcano, or is that uh, chart under there able to tell you that there was other volcanic activity going on before this uh, went on? Yeah. Geologists look for sulfur dioxide and sometimes uh, uh, hydrogen sulfide gas coming before a major eruption. Like at uh, Yellowstone, you'll see periodically there will be upwellings, you know, release of carbon dioxide. Usually that happens way down deep when the magma is, you know, bubbling a bit. It's got carbon dioxide dissolved in it and it gets up closer to the surface where the pressure is less. And so it releases the carbon dioxide gas bubbles but it's not close enough to the surface to erupt or you know, break the, the skin of the, the surface of the earth. Um, these carbon dioxide uh, kills occur you know, in a number of places in South America and whatever, and just sometimes since carbon dioxide is a heavy gas, it'll sleep, it'll get into sleeping villages nearby while they're at, at uh, night asleep, and the carbon dioxide gas will penetrate their bedrooms or whatever and kill them during the night very peacefully, but they'll be gone. Now, the, the, the sulfur dioxide, uh, you can smell that uh, to a degree, and uh, that indicates that the magma is now very close to the surface, if not already spilling out into the surface. 
if you're near a volcano like Mount St. Helens, it's a, has a great eruptive history where it throws debris for miles and miles, then you really want to worry if you, if you smell that or detect that sulfur dioxide gas there. You know that there's a big eruption about to happen and you want to be a long way from there. Now, the, uh, the case here, uh, you know, before the eruption over Kilauea, that is uh, a normal thing for the sulfur dioxide gas levels to increase like that. You'll see that they will diminish as we get later on into May if we don't uh, have a, another major eruption from as far as magma oozing out. Um, you'll see those levels drop back down in the same manner, kind of, you know, 75% and 30% and then back down to normal levels that you saw in, uh, you know, January, February there on that chart. Okay. Very interesting. The, the gases do tell you a lot about what's about to happen. You'll get a, a number of trees that will die off, like in Yellowstone or in Mount St. Helens area. Whenever you get that carbon dioxide being pushed up from deep, you'll see a tree die off uh, in the area affected by it. And that kind of gives you an idea where it's coming from. You, know, you, you track it back to the pattern of the dead trees. And you know that that's probably where it's going to come out if you're going to get the sulfur dioxide later and, and an eruption. You don't, Stan, you don't seem too, too distressed by this. Uh, uh, no. Okay. All right. My house isn't over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I. I mean, in the larger sense, uh, uh, looking at this as you do, you know, you're so accurate with earthquakes and such. So, I mean, you don't see this as uh, anything earth-changing. I, I don't even know the words to use, except I'm not sound like that. But uh, yeah, I'm. I'm excited in essence. Uh, that this is happening because we're getting closer to earthquakes in diverse places, you know, where we hadn't seen them before and sure. large numbers of them. So we're getting close to the tribulation period. This is an indicator. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, keep an eye on. I mean, we're, that's why it's up there this week. I mean, normally I don't uh, put a lot of stuff about volcanoes and earthquakes unless there's something really unusual. You look at the number of slides, I think it's a bit unusual. Oh, oh in that sense, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do agree that that we should be paying attention to this. But, I mean, in terms of, holy cow, you know, we should be evacuating Hawaii kind of stuff. It's no, not. I don't, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. It's like watching the, the, the newscasters on the major networks, and uh, they'll be talking about the events. Uh, and today, 40,000 people died in a mudslide in Bangladesh. <laughs> and now, <laughs> you know, it, you get hardened to it, I guess, as a, a, a you know, a, right. a news reporter of sorts. And, uh, you can joke about it, but seriously, you, you down deep, you think, well, that that really wasn't too cool. But that's the rhythm of news and how you present it to people. And let me just turn that light down there; starting to blind me a bit. Good. Okay. All right. You, y'all, y'all pack, by the way. Uh, you... No, I'm still packing stuff. I mean, I, you know, I've got to, to weigh everything and stay within weight limits and pack it out and then measure it to be sure it fits inside the, um, you know, the little thing that tells you what you can carry on board and what you can stuff under the seats. And, yeah, and, and for those yeah. people who don't know what I just referenced, uh, the, the real Indiana Jones here, Stan Dale, is actually trekking to the uh, the Garden of Eden. Literally. Alright, and that's, in fact, we're going to lose him for, for two Tuesdays, the, I think the 20th and the uh, when is the 27th? Yeah. Something like <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's the, hang on a minute. No, I'll get the 22nd and the 29th, I believe. Right? 
great time to be flying over the yeah. Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you got some layovers like in Damascus or anything like that? Or? Uh, no. <laughs> nice try, but no. Okay. Um, you know, uh, that's part of the Indiana Jones part, the risk-taking. Um, uh, I think we'll probably, uh, KLMs who we're flying with, they'll probably steer us a little bit uh, west of the action there in uh, Israel and Iran. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be a snooze getting there and getting back. We'll have fun keeping an eye out the window and seeing what's heading our way. Wow. How long of a trip is that, Stan? It's got to be at least five, six hours anyway, right? Oh, it might be 12 to 15 hours. What'd you say, Holly? I said, not a lot you can do about it. Oh, well, she said, not a lot you can do about it, but I mean, I could wave at a missile or something like that, you know. Well, well, thankfully, we're not hearing of uh, aircrafts being shot out of the skies uh, yet, so we're, we're okay for now. No, I'm looking forward more to the exploration over there. Um, we're printing out uh, a large map that I'm going to take for, for the Maasai guide to show him where we want to go because some of the areas aren't uh, listed uh, on, like, digital maps on the Internet. They don't even have a name. But wow. I want to get to the area where the water for the, the four rivers came from. I get email, and I look at other sites uh, commenting on my alleged discovery of the Garden of Eden, they say, and people are so ignorant they don't study and so they think that uh, whatever they've been told at Sunday school is it and uh, that you can't go back to the Garden of Eden and that there are things guarding it and they don't realize that the Hebrew doesn't say guarding but saying lighting the way showing the way to the Garden of Eden I mean how did Moses and those people know where the Garden of Eden was if there wasn't some kind of a marker GPS Oh, of course, GPS. Or the, 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 you know, yeah. You know, no, you know I, I can feel the frustration, though. I, I sense the frustration. I understand the frustration with people because um, a little knowledge is kind of a dangerous thing. And emphasis on little knowledge, you think they, you know, they think they know what they're talking about. But, but you've studied and you've, you, folks, if you don't have the, if you, the DVD, that's still available, right? The DVD lecture? Oh, yes. It's on okay. our shopping cart and on our website on the front page. All right. Holly's- all right, folks. Yeah, it's well worth the investment of money and time about the Garden of Eden uh, from by Sandeo. So I would urge everyone to take a look at that. And uh, the other thing I'd ask is, uh, hey, uh, bring us back a souvenir. <laughs> yeah. What I can. I mean, there are so many restrictions. You're not even allowed to pick up a rock in the Garden of Eden and take it out. It's against the Tanzanian law. Kind of sounds like the park service here in the, in the United States, but well, it's yeah, the parks and all of the Tanzanian parks, even though they're opening up and promoting them for tourism, you cannot take a drone in and take pictures of yourself from the air or around. No, no. And I've been fighting that regulation now then for four weeks with the officials over there, and they aren't going to let us use our drone, so we're going to just take ground level photos. But um, I did want to be able to fly a drone over the area where the water where the four rivers came up in the northwest um, in the high altitude of the the Ngoro Plateau, which is you know part of the Garden of Eden. Interesting enough, the um, a number, in fact, all of the other reported or, or, or guest sites for the Garden of Eden over in the Middle East and over China, whatever, Persian Gulf, that's one of their favorites of late, saying it's underneath the, the, the Persian Gulf because the Tigers and Euphrates empty into it today. Well, if they read the scripture, it says 
the headwaters, that means the high part of the rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden, you know, the high part is not buried deep, deeper than the flow of the rivers in the mountains. Um, it doesn't run uphill from the Garden of Eden. It has to be high, and it has to be high enough and the volume enough of water to just chisel out the riverbeds between land masses to make the continents. And th- where I'm going to go with our guide and uh, photograph and do possibly soil samples, if they'll let me do that, is an area of about 20 acres. And it's at an altitude of 10,000 feet. Now, if you could imagine, um, say, the Mississippi River flow about uh, by about five times, and at an altitude of 10,000 feet, the, the force of that water coming out of there is going to be enormous. And you can see this. When you look at the Angoro Plateau, you can see the huge channels that cut going down the plateau down to the uh, the Great East African Rift and flowing into the uh, uh, the Arabian Gulf and forming the Red Sea or the Indus, or sorry, or the uh, um, the Nile. And I trace all this out in my explanation on the video, and I'll do more when I write a book about it here when we get back. Just there is- stand, just don't don't reach for that fruit. Don't touch. Don't touch that. Don't pick that fruit now. Well, <laughs> there is, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I found where the two trees were planted, where they grew. And that's, uh, a, that, that's amazing, by the way. I, I gotta hear well, this one. Yeah, the, in the, in Goro Crater, which was the original garden, because garden in Hebrew is Gan Eden, which means a hedged in area to keep all of the things inside, inside, like people and animals. And God, it says, uh, took the animals and brought them before Adam, before he was kicked out, obviously, in the Garden of Eden so that he could name them for their characteristics. And when you got a hundred square miles and, uh, you know, the walls around it being the walls of the crater, um, you can do that. They're all hedged in. The, um, the other thing about the Garden of Eden trees of knowledge and of life. Now, when, uh, God made uh, Eve out of Adam's rib and he says to the two of them, okay, you can have any fruit from any of the trees except these two trees. Now, did he hang a sign on it and say, this one's a no-no and that one's a no-no? Or did he put it where they could see it from anywhere in the garden, see those trees and know, don't go there. Those are, you know, don't forget, they're up above the other tree. There is one place like that that you can see from everywhere in the garden floor, and it's called the um, Injitati Hill. Uh, right now, hyenas uh, congregate, uh, congregate on it, but I do think I have, I can't remember whether we left it in there or not. There was a time when I had it up here where I showed the, I don't see it, uh, where I showed the two, uh, hills with a, a river kind of rolling, flowing between them, which is the Injitati Hill, the hill. Um, they are going to let us drive up on that and photograph it. I wanted to be able to get out and stand next to where the, the two ice parts are, where the two trees would have been, but, the, the, the important thing to remember is they could have been seen from anywhere in the garden. You can look and say, oh, don't go there. It's up and raised apart. Don't accidentally pick the fruit because you'd have to make an effort to get to them. There's only one place like that and only one place visible from all over the floor of the crater. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm terribly excited about that. The, um, it just fits the picture entirely. There are a lot of other little things like, you know, um, the, uh, bones of the hominid man that, that the leakies found five miles outside the garden. They've got a, a museum there that we're going to 
try to get to because it's rainy season. We may not be able to get through the mud, but um, we're going to have the same problem up in the north, so we're going to have to trek a few miles up into the, the northern um, jungle region to uh, get to the spot where the water came up. Um, another thing that people miss, and I, a couple of the other guys, I don't know whether it was Lynn uh, L.A. Marzulli or uh, one of the other um, fellows that does a, a good deal of translation, you'd know him, uh, slips my mind at the moment, but they've looked at the verb like I did in Genesis where it says, and a river came out of Eden and, you know, to water the Garden of Eden, and then it became four rivers. Okay, in the Hebrew, the ancient form, which is what we're using, ancient form of Hebrew, it says the water came up out of Eden into the garden to water and to become the headwaters for four rivers. Now, there, there is a place where it comes up like that. That's what I'm going to go look at because it was a huge amount of water, probably from what formed Lake Victoria to the west of there, that was pressurized underground by all the volcanoes. There's at least 45 volcanoes around the Garden of Eden, <laughs> stones of fire. That's where Satan was walking, the stones of fire around Eden. Wow. Anyway, this huge amount of pressure underneath forced that water to gush up. And that verb says, like, like a tree. The, it, it gives the impression of like a tree comes up and has limbs coming up. It said it came up, out, and, you know, and spread out into the various places it went there at the top of the Garden of Eden. One part of it flowed down into the garden itself and poured the water down there. And then four other parts of it went uh, toward the Great East African Rift and around India, which was connected at that time. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm quite excited about that. It's, it's proving so many things, and using the correct translation does it. One of the other letters I saw on a, a chat board was that, oh, doesn't Deo know that there's a, you know, the cherubims are there to garden, to guard the, the, the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword and, you know, keep people out. And if you read the translation in the Old Hebrew, it says there were three great powerful things that led, that lighted the pathway to the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of that was this spiraling, sparkling fire that went, you know, round and round like that. Well, Kilimanjaro is due east, just exactly like the scripture says, due east of the Ngoro crater, just like, you know, it's Garden of Eden. It's due east and there are three things. There's the main uh, Kilimanjaro and then there are two satellite uh, volcanoes left, you know, left and right of it. And in the center one here, called Kilimanjaro, when you ask the natives, why do you call it Kilimanjaro? And it's because it is the mountain of light. Originally, I think it was probably spewing, you know, hot volcanic gas sparkling, you know, little uh, things like you saw over in Kilauea in the news, you know, those little hot embers sparkling in the sky, but it was bright, and it was going, and it was huge, and it was it was foreboding. Now, if you look at Herub, or Cherub in English, if you look at it in Hebrew, it's talking about a strange, a, a strong, powerful thing that destroys. And of course, volcanoes do that. So, if you put these little clues together, going back to the original language as far back as it goes, you can see how the story was told, and as it got told and repeated, it became guys that had wings and were cherubs and a flaming sword. But those are not the correct interpretations of the Hebrew. So, correcting those things allows people like Indiana Deo to get out there and say, ah, I have found it. There it is. So then I'm going to have to go back and look over the uh, the translations. I used to have that eSword tool on my old computer. I don't have it on this one, but you can get the old Hebrew and Greek translations. 
uh, each word and, and its number, numerical value, and uh, what the definition is. So I'm going to have to go through and reread that to to see um, so I can understand more what, better what you're what you're saying. More better, just what pictures. you're saying. Goodness, I can't speak. To is to get the accordance a c c o r d a n c the accordance software out of Texas. Used it for years. It's uh, as good as uh, thumbing through some of the uh, the Greens, uh, you know, uh, translations and uh, um, phrases and words, and, and delving back into the roots of these things. The the accordance software has that built in, and so I can punch a, a button here, and I can look at Greek, Hebrew, uh, various types of Greek uh, translations and analyses from all the major commentators that mm-hmm. we have the last couple hundred years. So that helps you to look at the verb tense, and uh, it's much better than a Strong's concordance thing, because that just gives you, you know, uh, Malak is king. It right. doesn't tell you derivative or root words or anything. You have to get into that, and it's not hard. Uh, accordance makes it uh, uh, very easy in their software to uh, to learn Hebrew letters, words, and uh, then to see how they, the roots, the root verbs make everything. Anyway, it's I've been doing that for a number of years, like the other guys that study it as well. But trust me, it's the old usage of these words, words that tell you where things were and are. That's how I found Solomon's gold mine there in Madagascar. Uh, and, and it went over in India and one up uh, in uh, the uh, western end near the, uh, the uh, Straits of Gibraltar there um, they are all given names in the Bible and if you trace those names um, you find surprise surprise these things do exist they did exist and India when it was stretched out like it used to be before the asteroid hit that shoved it up in China to make the Himalayas India uh, used to connect around Madagascar like this and Madagascar then snuggled up into Tanzania and right through that area there through Tanzania through Madagascar and into India at that time to the Karnataka region of India is famous for its gold and uh, the best gold the richest gold is on Madagascar but the second richest is then in the Karnataka district of India uh, if, if you don't put all these things back together you can't find you know, Solomon's gold um, I forget the name that he used um, for the Indian gold mines. It was the people of the book. Um, and so Solomon's name for it was part Hebrew and part Indian, what they called their their bamboo strips of history. And it was the people of that book in Hebrew. And that tells you that he his uh, ships went over to where the Indus River uh, Valley was and uh, or is today. And they talked to these people and gathered information and gold from them there. Well, very interesting, uh, Stan. And if we can, kind of switching gears to another part of prophecy that I have you on, see you uh, posted on the show images page, the Tower of Babel. Uh, you have a few pieces up on this and uh, referencing a stone that was found to have an engraving and a message on this. And, and I want to ask you about this. Um, isn't this the, the same stone that, you know, this whole ancient alien, uh, you know, system is based off of? Or am I thinking of something completely different? When you say the ancient alien system, you're talking about... The, the Zachariah uh, Stitchens and, uh, you yeah, know, all yeah. that. Okay, they they make the Tower of Babel as a stargate, and it, it uh, well could be. I mean, I've, I've done the tracings and analyses of the photographs of this myself, and what I found is very similar it's not exactly what you see there in the line drawing that uh, this fellow made for the uh, showing collection 
Um, the thing I put this up for was was this. Um, <clears throat> Nimrod and his uh, subjects decided to get together and build the Tower of Babel, which was, we think this was kind of a reference to that, the design of the Tower of Babel. You notice on the very top of it where all that uh, cuneiform text is on the left and the lot. That top part is the holy part where God appeared and where the gods appeared, they said, and uh, went down several layers, you know, several hours at a time to get rid of the, the bright energy in them so that they didn't touch a human uh, before they got to ground and uh, burn them up or kill them. Um, even Jesus told Mary in the garden after he rose from the dead, don't touch me, I'm not yet ascended. So it would either hurt her or him or stop the ascension. But energy density of the molecules was why they built these cigarettes up like that so that the gods could enter our world from theirs in a parallel universe and come down to us. Now, that part I agree with. But um, when they built this, it says in, in the scripture in Genesis, God looked at and saw that the men were coming together, mankind. Uh, they were all of one language, and uh, they wanted to build a tower to reach up to the heavens, to climb up to the heavens. And he said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I know heaven is great and one of ours where the gods live, and uh, you know they don't have the problems you've got down there on earth, but um, we're not going to let you come across unless you're vetted. And of course, to get there now, you you have to be uh, on, on Jesus' uh, team. You have to be saved. And he's our ticket, our doorway, our gateway into that wonderful place called heaven. But there is a wall, a shell, if you wish, that prevents us from getting into the area that we see is a wonderful place until we are ready, until we are acceptable. And it's like the Trump wall, you know, for all the people trying to illegally get into the United States. They look at the United States and the people of the United States as very wealthy, they're, you know, very uh, um, wonderbar, you know, everything they've got, all, all of our devices and, and movies and stuff, it's it's like the best place to live on the planet. And it's like the ancients saw heaven the same way, they wanted to get there. But God built a wall so that you couldn't get there without his permission. And that's what I think, you know, I, I look at what President Trump is doing and say, good on you, that's the way we should do these things. You have to have boundaries and limits. If you're going to come in here, you have to be approved and, and do your homework so you can get in here and fit into this new community. That's the same for all of us that are going into the heavens. So this is why I put this up mainly at this point in time. I've had this up and talked about it for, you know, many shows, but it just reminded me today that God did not want us to get out of our box here and get into his world until we were ready, until we were acceptable to decide. Okay. Well, thanks for that. And uh, next up, I guess we can go here. We just had John McTiernan on before you came on, and we were talking about the Iran deal, the rising tensions between Iran and Israel, the Israel-Saudi Arabia uh, alliance. What do you take away from today with Trump pulling out of the Iran deal, and where do you think that puts uh, the conflict between Israel and Iran in the near future? Well, I, I agree with what President Trump did. It had to be done. Um, it was a bad deal, and it was not run by Congress. It was a presidential thing that Obama put through, and he sneaked a lot of bad stuff into it. Uh, the cash deals with Iran, and you know, not let us expect, inspect certain military bases and things that, where they could hide the nukes and the development of it. So I think this had to be done. There are other countries, uh, allegedly our allies, who 
because of financial reasons and trade, didn't want this to happen. They didn't want to stop the, the Iran nuclear treaty because they knew that the sanctions would come. And it meant that, say, if England or France were, were dealing with the Iranian steel and didn't pull out of the agreement as well, that they would lose income because we would put sanctions on them as countries who are, you know, uh, helping Iran. Now, Iran is a real clear and present danger to everybody on the planet. Um, the Saudis, uh, they are technically enemies of Saudi Arabia and the United States, but because Iran is their enemy, then it's the enemy, my enemy is my friend, that kind of stuff. That's why we're being, we're tolerating uh, the, the Saudis and some of the other Arab countries that are joined with them in this alliance they, they formed under MBS. Um, I think we're going to see action over there. Uh, if you look at slide 53, just, just at the title of it, Israel has already started opening the public bomb shelters, uh, you know, and they've got a, uh, an underground hospital in the north part of Israel, up near the, the uh, Golan Heights, uh, which has beds underground for 2,000 people, you know, hospital beds. Uh, so they're telling people, okay, look, um, let's, let's kind of get those things open. And we're going to put some air conditioning in to be sure that they're comfortable during the summertime, trying to get low key it so there's not a panic, but they are getting ready for an Iranian, uh, Syrian Iranian attack on the, the northern parts of Israel across the, from the Golan Heights down into northern Israel. The Israelis that you see in Article 52 say to, to Assad, you know, if you, if you keep letting Iran operate with uh, impunity in your country, in Syria, then we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you, Assad, if you continue to let this happen. And that's a direct public threat, which means that things are getting tense over there. They have to get tense. You know, biblical prophecy says they will get tense. And this is just a marker telling us we are almost at the point of a conflict erupting over there that will cause the need for a world government to form overnight. Um, you know, uh, Erdogan, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, those two are leading contenders for the Antichrist of that area and of the time spoken of in Revelation 13. What a time to live in. Yeah, and I'm looking at the article that you referenced, Israel will eliminate Assad if he continues to let Iran operate from Syria. My question is, what choice does he have? If he doesn't continue to let Iran operate in Syria, from what I understand, he and his government-backed uh, government forces are, are uh, pretty much going to collapse. Is that not uh, what how we understand it? Uh, at least that's yeah. what John McTiernan said, with the depleted Syrian forces, um, you know, who will fight with the Syrian government? Well, look, he's between a rock and a hard place. Um Russia's involved in that too, sitting up there on the northern border to both, you know, of, of Syria. Um, and the three of them, Iran, Russia, and, and Syria, you know, they form a triad of evil. They're just, uh, necessity forces them to be there. Russia wants to have access to the Mediterranean through a seaport through uh, Syria. Um, and, uh, Iran, of course, wants help from the Russians uh, to protect them while they develop the uh, nuclear missiles to wipe out uh, Israel and the United States uh, and they want to wipe out uh, the Iranians want to wipe out Saudi Arabia too or at least Riyadh where Mohammed bin Salman has his base of power the whole thing is shaping up into a very nice tidy package uh, hooks in the jaws of the Russians and, and the Turkish uh, the Erdogan's in there in that game too there are four players in, in, you know, together in Syria Damascus being right there nestled in the, the mount range 
um, you know, and strangely enough, housing a lot of the Iranian and uh, Russian artillery or weapons in bases in that area in, in Damascus or, or the suburbs of it. You, you can see if it's not a natural thing, but an act of God that blows up a lot of black, you know, rocks and stuff from the volcanic area around Damascus and covers it and buries it in all this ruinous heap. Uh, if it's not that, then it'll be nukes from the United States or Israel, um, and even possibly from uh, Saudi Arabia because they have access to nukes through their alliance with Pakistan. I I know that there are ruinous heaps of this black rock that have been blown up uh, kind of slowly to form heaps all through Syria uh, from the Golan Heights up into the mountains where Damascus is. You can see on the Google Earth maps these black piles and those black piles in the native tongue are called ruinous heaps. So it literally may mean that an act of God destroys Damascus by burying it in all this ruinous you know, rock heap magma that, that uh, erupts and buries it overnight. It would be a quick thing, but, you know, we, we just have to watch. I don't know what's going to do it, but to Damascus, I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> no, I, I agree in uh, reading some of the headlines from a, a few of these um Articles that uh, are linked off of the article that talks about Assad. One of them references the future of the Iranian president, uh, Hussein Rouhani, and says that that he might lose power uh, because this deal fell through, and that he might be uh, replaced by uh, the other leadership there. Would that have any effect uh, on the tensions between Israel and Iran, or is this just a overall Iranian uh, battle, not not really mattering who the president is? Well, obviously the president does have some effect, but at the moment the um, kind of leading hero of Iran is uh, General Qasem Soleimani. Uh, Soleimani is a master tactician at battle. Uh, I did have his name because it's a Solomon Rudy on my list. I still got him there. I think it's on slide 13 where you can click in to look at the candidates for Antichrist. He's still there because uh, this guy has intelligence forces in the United States that are deeply hidden, but yet they had the ability for him to send a message, handwritten message that he wrote to the Secretary of Defense about 10 years ago, and have it placed on the Secretary's desk in the Pentagon, with no one knowing how it got there. And that means he can reach out and touch people in our country in high places, and nobody knows how he does it. So he's he's a force to watch. He's going to be, if it's not him, it's going to be who he supports for the leadership of Iran that we have to worry about. And I don't know whether Iran's going to come out on top of this or whether Iran's going to be destroyed and the major power will be uh, Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But there are so many possibilities between uh, Erdogan, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, and General um, Soleimani as to who's going to run the region that we just have to wait and see. There's too many chips that have to fall yet to be sure. You, you know, when you look at the chart that, that we have up there from your oh, yeah. show images page, and we, we, but we, we, when you consider, uh, uh, what blows my mind, if you consider the last, I don't know, we'll, we'll say ten years to be generous, twelve years maybe or fifteen, versus <clears throat> the previous, <clears throat> you know, fifteen hundred, it, it's the, the rapid movement of events that we've seen over the last decade and a half versus the last. 
millennium, uh, millennium and a half. It's just amazing how things are just flying um, into that biblical prophecy setup. It's, it's really amazing. Hey, um, I didn't put this up, but there's an article um, in, uh, let's see, what is it, in uh, Metro uh, newspaper, New UK Metro, um, today about the Pentagon and Ministry of Defense officials feared UFOs were either demonic or sent by God, former investigators revealed. That's the title of the article. And you'll see in there that the um, the official investigations of UFOs on both sides of the pond that uh, the leadership, you know, guys in charge were afraid that these high-speed uh, UFOs were demonic or were sent by God, and they didn't feel that we had the, the technological ability to confront either one of them. We have the technology be so far beyond us. So it does kind of encourage me a bit to, to think that the original cover-up of the UFO situation was handled by people that thought, well, you know, this this could be uh, God or it could be the de- the devil, but it was based on biblical uh, data, you know. And uh, I, I just find it uh, fascinating. I, I always thought of these guys that, that led up the the uh, organization to investigate UFOs and keep it all quiet. It's all, you know, uh, blindly sinister guys that didn't recognize God or the Bible or whatever. But to hear this is encouraging to a degree, uh, to me anyway. Yeah, and no, uh, uh, it's pretty interesting to see that they looked at it purely from that uh, two options: uh, is it spiritual, but is it is it a uh, uh, good or is it evil? Um, pretty interesting. Yeah, they didn't even consider that it could be another technology technology from another country or. Uh, well, because after know, the, that's weird. Well, I worked for those guys through uh, Dr. Teller's group, and we had a, a worldwide consortium of uh, undercover off-the-books uh, research into technology to combat these type of beings. Um, and uh, in Germany, they were on the western side uh, of it underground. There were uh, bunkers and stuff and technology being tested there by British and American and Russian sources. We all worked together. The Russians were a little bit um, slack in their participation, but uh, the Saudis helped. They gave us a base just a hundred and 20 kilometers outside of Riyadh in the Jabal Tawek Mountains. That was one of our most secure research bases. And because we dealt with these critters and didn't trust them that much, I think that the the opinion changed that they weren't from, from God, they were from the bad guys, from Satan. And we were trying to keep them at bay but get technology from them until, of course, in the late 70s when they kicked us out of all the underground facilities that we built for them. Um, so... We're there. Interdimensional, as opposed to inter or extraterrestrial, interdimensional. Another way of stated differently, I guess, from God or from. Well, look, God and and Satan, you know, Jesus, God, Satan, they all come from a parallel universe to us, concentric around us. But there were, this is something I've, I've questioned and wondered about a lot. It's because in that peaceful place of heaven, there was a revolution that occurred. Satan led the revolution against God. Why? You know, I mean, why do you do that? Seems like a pretty bad choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. But he wasn't happy with something. And I think, as best I can glean out of the old writings, that uh, when you live in God's kingdom, uh, you give him permission to kind of tap into your mind. Uh, everyone is there connected so that there, there shouldn't be any secrets that hurt anybody or that kind of stuff. It's like 
he's our traffic cop, being sure that what we want to do in exercise of free will doesn't uh, encroach on someone else's exercise of their free will. But Satan, in essence, says, no, I want to cut that off. Right. And so I have secrets, you know, and you can't peek into my mind. And that's just because he was, you know, very vain and very bright and uh, he wanted to overthrow the established orders, but it bounced him. In the end, ego always will kill you. I mean, will be the result in your destruction, those with the egos. I, I guess we could say that was kind of ego, right? Ego-driven? In, oh, yeah. In, in, uh, to, to put a humanistic touch Just on a, it. Just a side note here, uh, image 54. The reason I put that up from NASA, they're sending a spacecraft to Mars uh, to to record the vibrations of Mars' surface and deep into the interior of the planet. It's like measuring earthquakes, but it's not caused by plate tectonics where Mars has plates that are slipping over each other, that kind of stuff. It's They're going to hang things over the edge of a, of a little uh, crevasse uh, on string, weighted strings and stuff. They're going to read the up and down vibrations of the planet because they want to measure as Mars contracts and expands. In other words, it's going to be changing its diameter. They're sending this up there to measure Mars and the change of its diameter over you know periods of time causing seismic events, and they're going to map the interior of the of the planet that way. So when I tell you the Earth used to be smaller in diameter than it is now and it's now expanded, you know I'm not the only one talking about variable diameter planets. Here we have it. They're going to go measure Mars's variable diameter. Hmm. Very interesting, Stan. We are out of time. That's fascinating. That's not a seventy-one pinno, is it? <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. No, but Stan, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Um, yeah. And you will be with us next week. It's the following two right. weeks after that. So yeah. sounds good. Thank you so much, and thank Holly Forrest. Standale.com yeah. is the website. Thank you, Stan. Bye-bye, guys. Good night. Looks like it'll do it for us tonight. Till tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. By the way, in the morning, Doug Hagman Radio Show, 9 o'clock, and then 2 to 3, John and Joe. I'm back here tomorrow night. Oh, <laughs> yeah, don't you just love this? We've been on on point all night. Eric almost says, all night. You got about 30 seconds left. What do you want, dead air? So, almost uh, all night. Yeah, anyway. Just should, real should quick just... here, uh, since I see it up on Drudge, this is something we talked about on our show earlier. Christian Fury at Met Gala's Blasphemous Catholic Theme. There was really? a, at the Met in New York yesterday, they had a Catholic theme. Rihanna dressed as a, a Pope. Katy Perry, the Satan worshiper, dressed as an angel. And there were people dressed up as, uh, pretending to be Jesus and, and everything else. So, very blasphemous, if you ask me. But check that out. Wow. It's up on Drudge or the Daily Mail. All right. Catch us tomorrow. Now we're out of here. Yep. For real. 